Yasan, high side from the Ryukyu Kingdom of Okinawa, Japan. You are listening to the Shima Gaijin Podcast with your host, Joe Isamu Davis. This episode is produced by our patrons on Patreon. Stacy Bell, Kazu Davis, Tato Brewer, and Daniel Olson. If you would like to be a producer of the Shima Gaijin Podcast, go to the Patreon page at patreon.com. Become a producer by contributing each month, and you will receive public recognition on each episode as a producer of the podcast. Please give a rating of the podcast, and don't forget to share and follow on social media. My guests today are Jason Harai and Byron Reddit of Ippon Judo Club in Lakewood, Washington. These guys are my judo senpais from my days of growing up in Washington State. Jason is the founder and head instructor of Ippon Judo Club. Both Jason and Byron were also the former coaches of Travis Stevens, who is the minus 81 kilogram silver medalist from the 2016 Rio Olympics. Jason's Judo Club just recently celebrated 20 years since opening in February of 2001. And also, he released an online judo tutorial on BJJ Fanatics titled Fundamental Judo for Kids. Enjoy the episode, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I have uh, Jason Harai. Thank you, Jason, for joining the podcast. Thank you. No problem. And then uh, Byron Reddit. Thank you, sir, for joining the Thank podcast. Thank you for having as well. me. And you guys are the coaches. If people who are listening, uh, to this podcast uh, you guys run Ippon Dojo and right. out of uh, Lakewood yep Lakewood yes. Washington Lakewood Washington and you are the 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 former coach of Travis Stevens 2016 silver medalist in judo minus 81 kilos right correct yep. yep so it's been a long time I think the last time I did see you guys was probably the last time I competed in Washington which was the Continental Crown, I think, was the name of the tournament. Mm-hmm. It was like it a is. long time ago. I think it was like yeah. the last time I ever competed, and then I just, just life happened, you know. But yeah, um, yeah. what's 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 going on in Washington with uh, the whole COVID? Are, are you guys you guys are still shut down, right? Yeah, we're we're officially shut down right now. Um, we've we've heard, you know, there's some jujitsu schools. There's actually a lot of jujitsu schools and some wrestling clubs that are that are going and stuff, and um, you know. We've, some people are going underground working out and stuff like that. Um, so it's, yeah, it's been bad like here, you know, so it's going on almost a year now. Uh, I think next week is going to be a year. Yeah, pretty us. much. Yeah. Are you guys doing any kind of um, <clears throat> like zoom type thing or out in the park or during the summertime? Just no. Wow. Yeah. We're not. Nope. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, one of the ones that I share with our team on our, we have like a private um, Facebook group and I share Roy Kawaji from Portland judo. He does a great job with his um, online zoom classes and stuff like that. And he makes it public on YouTube. And so I share all of his classes with um, the Northwest Udonchikai and with our um, team page. So um, oh, it's pretty cool. and he does a fantastic job. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, Hey, we don't need to recreate the wheel if, you know, and, and he's, and he's willing to put it out there for, for everybody to utilize. So it's kind of cool. Did you say, was that a free program? Roy Kawaji just does it on YouTube and yeah, YouTube videos. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay. I got you. So you can like just hit play, sit in the room and soon as he, soon as, as soon as he shares it on YouTube and Facebook, I just repost it right onto um, the Udonchikai Facebook page into our team page. So, okay. 
How much weight have you guys gained? <laughs> uh, probably well, I always get a little fluffy for the uh, during the winter time, and you know, COVID didn't really help. <laughs> That's I am I'm the saying. heaviest I've ever been in my life. I'll say that. Like <laughs> I'm the heaviest I've ever been in my life. It's not the freshman 15, 15, it's the COVID 15. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. 15. 15 is good. How about you? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I, I was like losing weight for the last couple of years. And then I gained, uh, shit, maybe, f- yeah, about 15, almost 20 pounds. Yeah. I see you trimmed a beard a little bit. Yeah, it was getting wild before you joined the uh, the group. Uh, I was telling Byron that it was just getting in the way. People are, you know, as they grip, they're grabbing it and yanking, you know, some of the the beard out, and then there's <laughs> a tumbleweed of beard going down the mat, and uh, especially in jits. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially in jujitsu. Yeah, there you Yeah, yeah. Well, and did you you said you were starting judo back up in a little way in a small way? Uh, yeah yeah we're doing no contact just um we're allowed to do you know falling drills uh solo drills you know some some hit workouts just doing some things like agility work Mm -hmm. i have to wear masks and we can only have 20 kids in each class so i'm just doing tuesdays for right now uh one hour uh from seven to eight and or no from six to seven and then another class from seven to eight got it but nice. yeah, what's tough for us is that we're in the Y. Our club is located at the Y. So basically, yeah. it maybe we could do a little bit more, have a little more spacing and that kind of thing if we had our own building. But um, since our club is located at the Y and basically until they open up their classes, you know, kind of put a put a damper on our program. You guys have like different tier levels, right? For the COVID, like a certain tier, or certain sports or activities can come back. Yeah, we're in, I think our state's in phase two almost everywhere, but I, I heard today or something like that, wasn't it? There was a pause or something like that, Byron? Or, um, yeah, I think so. I don't know what that means, but there was a, I heard there was a pause in phase two. Um, I did hear from one of our, one of our black belts as a wrestling coach at our alma mater, Lakes High School in Lakewood. Um, he told me, Coach Poncho told me that um, high school wrestling was going to start in the state of Washington on April 26th, somewhere in that ballpark. And that the WIAA said that they were going to be able to practice wrestling and not have to wear masks. And the coaches weren't going to have to wear masks either. Um, so, and they just had a meeting on that just the other day. Now, whether that sticks or not, who knows, you know, that, that could just be what they said and, and they're going to, it's a moving target. I'm sure it is a moving target, you know? So. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure people will probably have to be vaccinated. Maybe. No, he was saying they, they were, it was, oh, it was really? going to be a full go. Yeah. Yeah. Starting to 26. Oh, that's right. Because the kids don't get vaccinated, right? Right now, they're just focusing on yeah, adults. Said, yeah. yeah, correct. And yeah, we have like, you know, like the first responders, um, you know, people like that that are doing it. It's crazy that the teachers aren't getting, you know, aren't getting uh, vaccinated like your sister. Your dad probably is because of his age. But <laughs> yeah, that, that, there's the loophole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's old. No, I'm just joking. He's probably gonna <laughs> no, be listening to this. No, he's old no. now. <laughs> you know, I don't think he really listens to this at all. Um, but he did listen to that last uh, that last podcast I did with that gentleman Colt when we talked. I had mentioned about I couldn't think of the guy's name. It was John Holmes, right? God, yeah, yeah. And then oh. I, I get this big long text from my dad saying his name was John Holmes, and then blah 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 blah. <laughs> going on. I was like, oh wow, okay, yeah. I should have done the podcast with you, Dad. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was out driving today, and I saw. Oh, I was out driving today, and I uh, saw a football game being played, uh, some junior football thing, and obviously the kids weren't wearing masks. And and from what I could see in the crowd, 
nobody was wearing. I mean, yeah. it was just like a regular, you know, I'm seeing people walking around and, you know, on this football field and coaches and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I mean, it's sanctioned somewhere. It wasn't just like some people got together. It was in a, some youth football league game. Right. You know? Well, you know, so who, who knows what they're going to do. Well, I hope you guys can get back to it. If if not this spring, hopefully in the summer, get back in the swing of things. It's 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 killing me. You know, like like I I mean I started judo when I was three. You know, just like just like you probably three or you know, and then it's like I haven't stopped since. So the break has been good, but now it's just kind of like you know now it's just killing me. You know. Yeah. And I was over three months in. Three months in, you know, it's kind of you get that little oh okay. And then you're like, wait a minute, you know, you've been a big part of who I am and, and part of what I do. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. tough. It's yeah. It's part of your identity. It's what you do. Right. It's, yeah. yeah. It's part of your, your, uh, your normal routine, but I told they, somebody the other day, it's breaking my soul. It's not breaking my heart anymore. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's different. It's different for us. Sure. Jason, uh, you said you started at three years old. Um, yeah. You actually come from a judo family. I guess I don't know where to start. Maybe start with your dad. Um, yeah. So, you know, my dad, my dad came here from uh, Okinawa um, after Vietnam and uh, my family moved to Fort Lewis. My dad's last, um, my dad's last station that he was at was Fort Lewis. And so that's the reason why he uh, came here, you know, and I think, I think, Mr. Uchida, George Uchida had a little bit, you know, of influence on that. Not a lot, but, you know, it's like, I think they met and, um, you know, they were friends. So um, it didn't, it didn't hurt, but, but yeah, after Vietnam, he came straight from Okinawa to, uh, to Washington. So, wow. and that's the reason why I was born here. Okay. Did, did he do, did he, did you say he retired from the military or did he only do just yeah. a tour? Okay. He retired. No, he started, he, he went into the military when he was um, 17 in Hawaii. My dad's from Hawaii. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, he's from the big island and he got into the military and then uh, he went to Okinawa and then that's where he met my mom. My mom's she, from Naha. Is she really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I did not know that. I didn't know you were uh, Okinawa. Okinawa. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. And then they, they came back. They came back to the States uh after my dad got a, came back from his last um tour in vietnam and they settled here in lakewood so because my dad was at lewis yep and then i, I grew up born and raised here so the whole time wow. so that's how it started my dad was the head sensei of the tacoma fife judo club and we, it was at the uh, ymca in tacoma and that's where i started judo um, when i was three three ish 1978 wow 1879 right in that ballpark is when i started so and then um yeah, and then we haven't stopped since. <laughs> did your did your parents ever come back to Okinawa back in the day to visit or anything like that? My mom did in the um, early '80s, you know. But um, um, you know, I know it was a. I know that the you know just their whole situation was was hard, you know, because um, my dad was an American soldier, you know, even though he's Japanese and he spoke fluent Japanese, um, you know. That it wasn't that far after. I mean, what the War of Okinawa was in 1945, right? Yeah, from World the end of you know from World War II, and um, you know I mean Okinawa got got pretty tore up during that time. And um, I mean I don't know if you hear or people talk about it still, or if it's you know or if it's like you know I don't I don't know, but just I've I've, I've read you know I've read 
history on it and saw documentaries on it. But, um, you know, it was just, there was a lot of hurt feelings during that, obviously during that time, you know, and, and um, my dad being an American soldier and my, my mom being Okinawan, you know, it was, it was a tough deal. I think, you know, when, when she married my dad. Yeah. So. It was a different time too, to travel back then. It wasn't as affordable as it is now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And yeah, and my mom had very little contact with her family after, you know, after that. So um, I don't know any of my relatives in Okinawa. Um, I do have, I do have relatives there. I don't know. I don't know any of them. I've never met them. I don't know their names um, or anything. Have you ever thought about trying to come out, come out here and. Yeah. In fact, you were going to be the person I was going to talk to you about yeah. seeing if we can, we can hunt some of them down. Yeah. You can come stay here. You can stay in this room. I, I changed into a podcast room, sleep on the floor. <laughs> nice. Yeah. We, we, uh, after my mom passed away, we actually found some, you know, some different information um, about her in, in Okinawa that we yeah. never knew before. And uh, so we do have some, some uh, stuff that we could, we could start with, you know, to actually see, you know, figure out who our relatives are and, and locate them and all that. Yeah. I, I don't think it would be too hard. You know, if you, if we just go straight to the city office, we'll probably be able to locate them in a day. I would think, I would imagine, but yeah, that's cool. Yep. So were your brother and sisters born in Okinawa? No, you know, my, uh, so the oldest in my family is my sister. She was born in, she was born in Honolulu okay. and, uh, and my, my two older brothers, uh, Jim and Jerry, uh, my dad was stationed in, uh, Africa in Ethiopia. And my brother, Jim and my brother, Jerry were born in Ethiopia. My dad had a judo club there. And so, um, but they lived in Okinawa, uh, you know, and then um, back and forth. And they, they lived in Hawaii um, different times. And so, and then my brother, John, and I were born at Fort Lewis. So actually none of us were born in Okinawa. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why, but for the longest, I thought it was just you and John. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, my, my, my brother, Jim's, my brother, Jim is 10 years older than me. Okay. So I'm 46 and John's 47. And my brother Jim's um, 56, and then I have a brother Jerry that's uh, 55, and my sister's 58. So they're quite a bit older than yeah. us, you know. So th that's why a lot of people didn't know um, a lot of my brothers and sisters. Right. His sister back then. So how is John? He's good. You know, he has two little kids. Um, you know, he has a Byron Howells Benton six. I think uh, yeah, I believe so. I think she's six, and then my nephew's four. So. You know, John's John's forty seven and his wife Bridget's forty five, I think, forty four or forty five. Yeah, I think she's one year below us. Yeah, so they're running after. around they're running around after a six and a four year old. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, he lives right around the corner from me. So Oh, does he? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, how yeah, cool yeah. is that? How did yeah. uh Byron, how did you get into judo? My my judo lineage is not quite so long. Uh, <laughs> Starts with I, Jason. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, really, it does. Uh, my 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 dad was or my stepdad was in the military, and we moved around. You know, you know, as a military kid, and uh, I moved here my the beginning of my senior year, or moved to Washington the beginning of my senior year um, from New Jersey, and I wrestled in high school, and then so uh, joined the wrestling high school or uh, the wrestling high school, the wrestling team at Lakes High School. And that's where I met Jason uh, in our senior year. So, and then it went, went on, went on from there. Uh, but yeah, back then, I, you know, before I met him, I didn't even know about judo, you know, it was growing up, you just watch movies and it's all wanting to be a ninja and Kung you know, Fu theater. Yeah. Kung Fu theaters. And yeah. 
to walk on water and do all that kind of stuff. And, you know, took a couple of Taekwondo classes when I was younger and a couple of karate classes, but I didn't, you know, didn't really, really stick with anything. And then, um, like I said, I met Jason and then um, basically it took off from there. Didn't start, officially start judo until I was like 19. So like this after, right after my senior year. Okay. He used to go to, uh, I don't know. I, I asked my dad about, about Byron starting judo and he was like, no, he can't start judo. You know, Just I'm like a troublemaker. That. I'm a troublemaker, Joe. I'm a troublemaker. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was like, it was, it was just like, you know, cause my dad, my dad just would throw out weird things, you know, like just, it's like random stuff. Like I'd like, you know, Hey, my best friend Byron wants to join judo. He's like, Nope. And we're like, okay then. So, so <laughs> it, it was just like that. It was, right. I mean, it was just like, it was just like that. And so um, Byron and I used to work out on Fort Lewis at um, soldiers field house. Um, it's a, it's, there's like, there's like three or four gyms on Fort Lewis that the soldiers um, work out at. And so one of the ones that was there had a wrestling mat up on the stage that they used to grapple on. They used to have a wrestling team there and they grappled on it. And so um, one of the guys who was in our judo club, um, who was part of the um, combatives um, system that they started, his name was Matt Larson and uh, he lives in Virginia. But anyways, uh, Sergeant Larson at the time, you know, he had access to these areas for us to be able to train at. So I used to take uh, Byron after we worked out and lifted weights and everything, we'd go and do judo on the stage on these wrestling mats. Um, every, yeah, almost that's where every I learned day. all my falls and stuff. I started there. I learned, basically I learned the basic protocols, learned all my falls, you know, some, some throws and, and, um, and stuff and learned the ex basically I learned the, the routine of how exercises and, and how the class flow went before I got to judo. So it's kind of like, we, kind of just surprised his dad and I would just just came and it was he didn't say anything but I knew how to count in Japanese and I knew how to you know do all the exercises and it was like okay he already knew how to do Rondori too he was <laughs> yeah, I already knew how to do Rondori and stuff. so yeah. you know before and, yeah before I took Byron the actual the first first class at Tacoma Judo Club he was already I mean he was a white belt and he had never been to judo and he beat the crap out of everybody that <laughs> I mean all of our I mean, we had people that were black belts and brown belts and everything, and he was like beating the crap out of everybody. And he had never stepped on the mat before ever. The first throw he taught me uh, was uh, Can Can Uchimata. <laughs> first day in the class. Sale. Yeah, yeah, no, no, my, no, no, it wasn't. First thing it wasn't. Jason taught me. Oh, yeah, Jason. the first thing oh. he taught. Yeah, the first thing I learned a left-sided Can Can Uchimata and then a right-side Epon Sale. So you know, it, you know, and not traditional stuff. You know, not traditional. Just right. you know. Because, you know, because like I was told that, you know, he wasn't allowed to start judo. And then so I was like, OK, I'm just going to teach him what he needs to know for like right now. And then I'll teach, I'll teach him what he has to know after he goes and beats the crap out of everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I, was, I, had a, I had a point to prove. I was like, OK, I'm only going to teach Byron like two throws and then he's going to dominate everybody. And then, my, then you know, then uh, then everybody will see that I was right about this. And, and then then we'll teach him what he has to know. Yeah. I always thought uh, wrestlers made great judo players. Yeah, absolutely. And vice versa. One of the yeah. things that helped me out. Oh, I'm sorry. One of the things that helped me out was that when I first joined, um, outside of you know the the few months that I learned before I even got there, uh, we had a, a ton of young young black belts. You know, you know, we had a ton of black belts. So most of the time, you know, the only I got beat up a lot. I got beat up a lot by the, you know, the black belts, Jason, John and, and whatnot. And then some of the other black belts. And the only time I kind of got some 
chance to work stuff was against the brown belts or, or, or lower or when we would go to a tournament. So it felt to me like um, when we would go to a tournament and I would fight white belts, it would feel so like way different, you know, just because I was so used to fighting those guys and they're way faster and, you know, few more steps ahead than when I fought white belts or, or, or even up to brown belts, it, it felt a lot easier, you know, to do that than, you know, maybe when you were first a white belt or something like that. So I think I, yeah. that gave me a big leg up. So when did, what year did you decide to, or what year did you uh, start the Bon Dojo? Um, and why, started, I guess why too, like it's just your own thing. One's... Yeah, that one's a little bit of a harder question. It's a little okay. difficult. We'll 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 navigate through it without without. <laughs> we okay, started cool. in politics. Okay, I got you. The family, <laughs> yeah, everything. Yeah. yeah. So it was. Uh, we actually just passed our twentieth year anniversary. Um, Holy cow! February, yeah, February fifth was our February fifth, two thousand and one, is when we officially um, opened. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, so um, I actually need to say something about that on uh, social media because I totally forgot. But. <laughs> I think I told Byron, but then I, then I forgot. Still February. You got time. I got time. Yeah. I got, I got a couple more days, (laughs) but you know, one of the things too, is that, um, and Byron and I, we talked about this the other day. It was, it's kind of funny how those things come up, but you know, we had a lot of young, we had a lot of young talent. We had, you know, my dad was super old school, the way he ran the dojo, it was, you know, um, it seems like, it seems like, you know, he wasn't, we weren't, so we, it was we, cause we were, you know, the Tacoma judo club at the time. We weren't prepared to, uh, get athletes from, you know, going as, as kids and then transitioning to, you know, junior high, middle school to high school and beyond, you know, to, to possibly go further and, 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 you know, into their black belt years and go to that national level to a, into an elite level. We weren't set up for that. That wasn't my dad's, um, goal, you know? So, him and I had different goals and what we wanted to do. And I just, I saw all these opportunities and the way I wanted to, to go with it. And and he didn't want to go that direction at all. You know, and I was just, a, I was just a kid. I wasn't, I mean, I was 24, I was 23, 24 years old at the time. So, um, you know, so I was, I was, no, you know what? I would no, I wasn't. I was 26. I was 26 at the time. Um, right, Byron? 26? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 26. No. Yeah. Yeah. 26. I was 26. And then so, you know, and so I would, <clears throat> to being a head sensei, I was, you know, I was very young, in, in fact. But I had all these, you know, I had all these ideas in my head of what I wanted to do and what we wanted to create and the culture that we wanted to set. And in a, um, you know, we wanted to have a, you know, a, a, a culture that we wanted to be able to last for a long time. And it's one of those things where, you know, when, when, uh, and a lot of people kind of had some doubts, you know, we, we, we had some people that didn't think that we would last more than a year. Um, one person did, in fact, say that. They said we'd be shut down in, in less than a year, you know, and now we're 20 years later and still kicking. So, um, and, you know, one of the things, too, is that uh, George Uchida really, you know, he, I talked to him about it and, you know, and he didn't like the idea because anytime, you know, anytime a, son of a sensei especially who's japanese and they and they try to and they start their own judo club it's just like uh you know it's it's like something you don't do right i mean you don't you don't go outside of the you don't go outside of the village and 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 do those things it's it's uh you know it's definitely things that will connect friendship relationships with your family and 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 
Japanese people have long memories, you know, and, and those things yeah. never, those things never go good. I mean, I don't, there's hardly, can you, I mean, I can't think of hardly any situations where those things ever go good. Yeah. You know? That's very Japanese though, too. It's like, you have to know your place and you have to, you, you follow, you don't lead unless you're the leader and it's, yeah, they're, yeah, they're very, so was, very much stuck in their ways. Yeah. So it was a, it was a difficult, difficult um, situation to go through, you know? And so when I told my dad, you know, that I wanted to open up my own judo club, you know, he had a few, he had a few stipulations and rules and that he was going to, that he wanted to do because, you know, he didn't want me to break away from the, the judo club. And, um, and we had a big, we had a pretty big meeting, you know, with all of the black belts and, and, and I had a quite a bit of support from um, some of the black belts that were already there, people that had been on my dad's judo club for, you know, like 30 something years. And they were supporting me. And there was a lot of of the athletes and parents that supported me. My ex-wife, Robin, was very supportive of me joining, doing, you know, going on this venture and starting this club, you know, and doing it. You know, she was super, super supportive of it. And so, you know, that was one thing. And Byron, you know, Byron and my brothers, they were, you know, they were supportive. But they also didn't want to not support my dad, you know, because, that we, you know, he was our sensei, you know. And we were in the same town. We were in the same little town in Lakewood. I mean, his dojo was less than a mile away from mine. Yeah. So it's just it's just one of those things where, you know, it was just, you know, it, it affected, you know, our relationship. You know, he didn't, you know, my kids, like my son Isaac and my daughter Lana, you know, they didn't have a lot of, um, you know, they didn't really have a personal relationship with my dad um, because of that. You know, we, we didn't see each other a lot. We saw each other kind of during just holidays and at tournaments, you know, passing by and stuff like that, but we really didn't communicate. Not that we communicated a lot before that. Right. Yeah. But it was really, we didn't communicate at all practically for that whole time towards until towards the end of his life. We, we kind of, when he kind of got out of judo and um, that's when I, I started, you know, talking to him more and we would, we, we kind of had a relationship where we could text each other, talk to each other on the phone and, and that kind of stuff. But for probably most of my, kids' life, though, they didn't have a really a relationship with their grandpa, you know, because of this. So it was a, it was a decision that was hard on my family, all of them. It was hard on my, my brothers and my sister. Yeah. You know, it was, it was hard on Byron. It was hard on, um, one of, one of my dad's really good friends uh, who runs Oak Tree Judo Club in Yelm, Fred Ogden, you know, your dad's really good friends with Fred and, you know, and Fred moved here, you know, also because of, uh, Mr. Cheetah. So it was, we put a lot of, a lot of people in a really difficult position, you know, where almost like it was like they had to pick sides and it, and it was kind of, it was kind of bad for everybody, you know, but it was a step that I had to take. I got a lot of support from George Uchida. Mr. Uchida encouraged me. He helped me. Um, he came to a lot of the beginning, you know, um, cause he didn't live very far from me. You know, I lived near Puyallup. And he lived in Graham. And so I would I would grab my son Isaac when he was a little baby. I would take him over to Sensei Uchida's house and we would talk until, you know, three or four o'clock in the morning, you know, and I'd get in big trouble from my ex-wife. She'd be yelling at me. I'd bring Isaac home at, you know, three o'clock in the morning. And she's like, what the, what the heck are you doing with this? You know, he was like six months old, you know. <laughs> and so until he was, you know, older. And so I would, I would, uh, you know, I would just sit there and talk to George like he's just a, you know, like grandpa, you know, and 
and listen to what he had to say and absorb what he what he wanted to tell me and and hear the history and and what I could do to make things better and he had a lot of interesting takes on how to make things better in in America he just he even told me he goes I'm never going to be part of the solution he goes I'm part of the problem of why American judo is failing he goes but you can think differently think outside the box and try to become yeah. a solution you know? I feel like uh <clears throat> him and George Wilson and you know your father had a had a had a part in that too but I think they 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 raised the judo level to a certain degree right and then all of a sudden it may peak and and then nothing really changes it becomes stagnant and then your decision to what you did although it wasn't a, it, it was something that a passion that you wanted to do and it was a tough decision to make and it was tough on everybody but what you and Byron have done has really raised the bar even higher in competition and I know that you're doing like all sorts of training camps you're doing I think my brother was saying like a is it correct me if I'm wrong like a kids white belt tournaments or something like that and you're doing yeah, all we sorts a, of things yeah we have a kids white belt tournament we call it the future stars judo championships and they have to be a white belt they have to be from five years old to 12 years old only and um and we kind of um it's a, just a it's a it's a developmental tournament there's no penalties we we the referee that we have on the mat coaches them through the actual match you know like yeah. like one of their senseis just you know telling them how things are supposed to go and so it's one of those things where it, it helped a lot of kids you know get into the point where they want to participate in regular GIs, regular tournaments, you know, and um, it's helped. I think it's helped a lot. I so. think so. You know, uh, you know, I, I take my kids to the, you know, off base to compete with the jet, with the, you know, Okinawan folks. And uh, I only take them to about two or three tournaments and I only select the tournaments where I think that they'll do, you know, uh, they'll, they'll last maybe a, a, a few minutes, you know, because mm -hmm. just the competition is just so, you know, high. Um, so, but I think that's great that you can do that. And it's, it's almost kind of like your description of, you know, how you helped Byron before he came to class, you know, you're, you're giving them like this little foundation of what a competition is, how does it work, you know, and that yeah. way, when they go in, they're a little bit more confident. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is that, you know, like, like before, you know, when like the Budokan, like Burt Mackey, you know, he's a big, he's one of my, you know, he's one of my idols and he's one of my mentors and, um, you know, they developed so many great athletes uh, from, you know, from Sandy Bacher to Mike Barnes. Um, and Mike actually lives in Tacoma now. He lives in Gig Harbor. His kids, um, you know, his kids, uh, his son came to, you know, judo a few times and Mike's come to help out. And, um, you know, and he wants to start coming back again because he has a daughter that's going to be going to be a fierce competitor, I think. And uh, nice. but it's just that all those athletes that that you know, that Bert and John Shadler and, you know, the Toradas developed, um, you know, that was in inspiring to me, you know, and, and Bert being like, you know, how good he was um, all the way up until now. I mean, Bert's like 60 years old and, and he still can, throwing people around. He can beat the crap out of almost anybody in this state wants to go live with him. He'll, he'll put them in the ground. He'll put them in the dirt. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, uh, that's inspirational to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, and it's up to the people coming up behind them to kind of be that next level of, of, and have that success, like, like the Budokan had, you know, and, you know, and so it's important that somebody, some, you know, people, we all had to, you know, break down the barriers. It took a long time when Bert became the president of the Yudanchikai, the Northwest, 
it took time to break down a lot of old barriers. We had walls that were built up everywhere, you know, and right now in the Pacific Northwest, all of the senseis, I would say pretty much all of the senseis work together. All the teams work together. You can go and work out in any dojo. Um, there's, there's less fear of, you know, people recruiting people. It's trying to steal athletes or, or other dojos not allowing their athletes to go other places. Yeah. You know, there are some still, but it's far and few between compared to how it was when you were little, you know? Yeah. I was, ha- yeah, I was having a conversation with Kazu a couple of years ago and you know, he, he says great things about you. And he said, yeah, I was having a conversation with Jason. Jason was like, can you imagine like this happening, you know, in our day when we were doing judo as kids and teenagers, yep. like this is so unheard of now. And so, yeah. I mean, he's on, like, he's on our, you know, he's on our legal team for the Northwest Judanchikai, you know, and it's like, we've broken down so many, barriers and walls with just every club everybody's everybody it feels like everybody's kind of um, rowing in the same direction now where before it was it was very much the opposite you know everybody had their own agenda everybody was doing stuff different and right now in the northwest you know in the washington states um, especially i mean everybody's doing whatever it takes to grow judo you know i mean we have we don't have any compared to everywhere else in other sports we don't have anybody doing judo and we make it so hard to do it, you know, and, and judo is a hard sport. People don't realize judo is just a tough sport. You know, it is. I always tell people it's the most, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. And some, you know, they got like people who play basketball over here, like, no, nah, bro, you've run up and down a court before. I'm like, yeah, you've been throwing your head. <laughs> you know. That's one of the things I like to tell, like after a practice, you know, like, especially when we crank it up a whole lot and everybody's tired and, and whatever. And I was like, you know, that's usually one of the things I tell people is like, hey, you know, I know how tired you are right now. I know how hurt you are. I know how that, but especially with the newer people, people who are on the competitive track, you know, you don't right. really have to like newer people who are like, man, this was crazy. You know, I just like, stick with it because most people, you know, you know, will quit judo. Most people will quit and the select few will be part of a club that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, a high level competitor, but even if you just stick around and come, you'll be part of an, a, an elite club of people who stuck with something that, that most people would, would quit, you know, yeah. doing. I know a lot of used to do. That's the thing I used to uh, I tell our guys, like, don't be a used to do. You meet somebody. Oh yeah. When, yeah, when I used to do judo, yeah, I used to do judo. Oh, how long? Oh, I, you know, I got my yellow belt. Was well, an orange belt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of, I mean, not that, you know, things happen and, and whatnot, but that kind of right. lets me go. Oh, okay. You know, maybe when the fire got hot, you know, you know, but you know, th- things happen and, and whatnot. I mean, all the people that you were in uh, high school judo with, uh, Joe, in you know, ninth to twelfth grade, you think about all the people you did judo with, and how many people actually still participate to this day. You're one of them, and you could probably you might be able to count on both of your hands. Yeah, maybe only one hand. Anthony Dell, I think that's the only person that pops in my head that's still. <laughs> I don't even know if he still does judo. I'm pretty sure he's still maybe once in a while, you know. But, yeah, I don't think no, he participates can't. anymore. Yeah, yeah. You're probably. I see right. him on the gram. I see him on the gram. <laughs> yeah, I see him. He posts <laughs> a lot of living a good life. He's, he's living a good dream, life. But huh? he went yeah. to San Jose. He went to San Jose. So I, you that's know, right. That burns you. Yeah, yeah. If you if you start and you you go all the way and get your black belt and stuff, you know, you know that, that that's yeah. and yeah. he he was about that life for a long time and competed in nationals and stuff. So no, yeah, that's that's fine. But it's like yeah. uh, I was a kid and yeah, it was tough and I was just you know yeah you know okay I get yeah. it. I, I I'm the same way. Byron. Used to do. Like I yeah. I always tell people like you know you you see people say oh I used to play basketball 
and they got a gut and they're 300 pounds and, Mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever sport, but yeah, if in judo, if you, it's like a marathon, if you, if you can stick around, you're part of that elite group. Yeah. And there's only a small number of people who do judo in the, mm-hmm. in the U.S. in general. And, you know, you, you stick around through all those throws, all those landing on your head, landing on your arm wrong, getting, getting yeah. your shoulders cranking, your elbows cranked, choked out. And- we tell people that all the time, uh, Joe. We, we tell people that, you know, that judo is a marathon and not a sprint, you know, it's, it's one, but it's one of those things where it's a marathon without a finish line in, in, Sometimes when you think about it that way, you're like, man, that's not cool. You know, there's yeah. no finishing line. Like, like, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to think about in your head, you know, that there's no finish line, but you know, we try to tell them, we're like, this is not a marathon. This is not a sprint. They think that they're just sprinting from A to B, but they're not, you know, there's a, right. there's a lot to do. There's a lot to learn and it's never going to stop. You know? Yeah. So, it, it, that's what's so hard to keep people in it is because they, yeah. you know, it's, it, you don't get those rewards right away. You, you may be yeah. doing six months of ukemi falling because you know because your falling sucks you know yeah it's not exciting it's not it's not exciting yeah that's why i always tell people like in jujitsu like you know you can develop so quickly in jujitsu you know in three months and three months equals like maybe a year in judo yeah maybe even more yeah you can do jujitsu for three months and kind of you can even if you're not beaten up but you can kind of feel your own progress you know oh i would about five times by now or whatever but i also think the reason why is because they, they've been able to break things down, you know, so um, break things down so good that when they're teaching it, you know, they teach you it in steps and they break things down and you're and you go to class more times a week versus the average kid. The average kid goes to class, what, twice a week for an right. hour. You can't do anything two hours. You know, that's eight hours a month. You know, if if you did anything eight hours a month, you would never be um, that good at it. It'd be hard to be good at it. Right doesn't matter what it is. I think that the way that you, you know, that they've been able to break things down step by step and teach you, you know, that's how like Byron, you know, when he teaches class and when we're, we're teaching our classes, you know, that's what we've done. We've tried to make it so that, that we have a lesson plan. We have a goal. We're teaching them step one to get to step, you know, 20. And if they miss something in the middle, it's going to, it's going to hurt something to step 20 right and, and we want to do it in you know we want to do it in in order of of how to get to that point and then we go to something different so pre-covid that, what, what was your classes like before covid yeah what was the schedule what was the we we've always been um sunday monday and wednesday um and we had, we'd have um we'd have two classes on sundays we had uh three classes on monday and we had like three classes on Wednesdays. So is it like we, little kids, like little kids? Yeah. Then we had three junior classes a week and we had, um, we had four s- adult classes a week. Okay. One so, kata yeah. class, one kata. Yep. Oh, we cool. were doing one, one kata. And then um, <clears throat> there was a time beginners. where, yeah, there's one where Byron was teaching um, adult beginners in one of the classes. And then um, back in the day before we had, we were um, having jujitsu. We were having uh, jujitsu one day a week um sometimes twice a week so we were we were trying to mix things up as we go but you know when you're in the ymca it's a little bit different it's a little bit tougher to to keep those classes going so yeah you've been the same location the whole time yeah we've been in the same location from 2001 to now wow how did you find that location my dad started my dad um got into that building um i think in about shoot 1996 
Mm-hmm. We okay. we moved. We were at the YMCA in Tacoma for a long time until the um, kind of the later '80s, and then um, we went to this place called the. Um, we went into Hilltop Tacoma for a few years, and then we went into a place in South Tacoma called the um, South End Neighborhood Center, and we had our club there from I don't know, probably like 1989 to about 1996 or 1997, and then we went to the Lakewood Y. After that. Okay. Did you guys ever go train in Japan as high school or I mean as young adults? No, I you know, I, I went in 2017 and we, we had a blast, you know, like I, I got to go with uh Shintaro Nakano. I remember like. that. Yeah, that was cool. I saw those and, pictures. Uh, yeah, we had we just we had we had a blast. It was just it was like it was an it was like one of the most uh you know, one of the most amazing times that I've ever had. So that was your first time in Japan? Yeah, I didn't have any, I didn't really have any opportunities going on the, um, you know, growing up, my dad and and Sensei Uchida, you know, they had, they had a falling out when I was younger. And Mm. so every time uh, Sensei Uchida would ask me, you know, if I would wanted to go to Japan on the high school trip, you know, my dad wouldn't, wouldn't let me go. So Uh. it was, uh, I'd ask him, you know, George, you know, Sensei Uchida would tell me, he'd be like, Hey, you need to talk to your dad and see if he'll let you go. And, and my dad would always say no. And so that's one of the things that's yeah part of the reason why, like when we started Epone was it's really the biggest thing to be honest was opportunity. Like I felt like I didn't have as much opportunity uh, in judo to, to get to the goal that I felt like I could get to. And the opportunity that we had was far and few between. And I, you know, and I felt like I capitalized on the opportunity that I got but it just wasn't very often, you know? And so part of it was money, you know, we, we weren't, we were, you know, poor growing up. And so we just didn't have a lot of money to do things. And so I didn't want money and I didn't want our, um, the politics of judo to ever get in the way of these athletes, these kids, um, getting as far as they wanted to go, you know? And, and, you know, that, and that takes us to someone like, you know, Marty who wanted to be an Olympian, when she was at NAS Whidbey Island and a person like Travis who says, I'm going to go to, I want to go to the Olympics, you know, and, and, um, a lot of people would just laugh and be like, you know, Olympics, <laughs> you know, yeah, you can't even, you can't even get through a local tournament in, you know, in Washington and you're talking Olympics, you know, and that's, and I think a lot of people would look at it that way, but I don't, I look at it as, as we have to create opportunity in order to get these white belts to the points to where they could be an Olympian. And if we're not doing that every single day, then then that's why I don't rest. That's why we don't sleep. That's why we're always pushing forward. And I think a lot of people are okay with, hey, you did okay. You you know you made it to high school judo, or you won the Rainier. Mike, you know you won you won the Rainier Cup, or you made it to black belt. That should be good enough, you know. And that is good enough for a lot of people. It was good enough for me. But although I'm obviously I'm still hurt about opportunity, but yeah. the people who want that opportunity, the people who want to go further you know we we wanted to give them that opportunity to go further not just say oh this is the end of the road you know and there's nothing past this yeah i felt i felt lost on on how to you know part of it was also the the confidence i guess in me you know but um just trying to find the next level how do i get to that next level you know i didn't know yeah yeah that's the reason and that's you know that's the reason why like Byron and myself, I feel this way. Byron feels this way. 
and you know in in looking at someone like Travis and looking at Marty Malloy I think a lot of the I think a lot of the coaches and senseis around you know you name it I think they a lot of people have enough confidence in themselves to believe and think that they're the ones that could take you know, an athlete all the way up to the top of this mountain. Right. But I always believed for myself, you know, I, I looked, I just kind of thought, all right, you know, like you have this mountain, like Mount Everest. Right. And I've never been to the top of Mount Everest. Have you been to the top of Mount Everest? You know, Byron hasn't. And, and, and so like, if you wanted to go to the top of Mount Everest and I've never been there before, I've never been up, I've never been down would you hire me to take you all the way up there and down and, and you know, you're going to risk your life, you know, with me. <laughs> no, you would hire yeah. a guy who's been up and down like several times. Right. Right. And has lived to tell that story. You wouldn't hire somebody who went up, you know, part of the way and said, Oh man, I can't do this. I, I've drove to the base. I drove to the base. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying that every great, a lot of times every great athlete is not a good coach. There's a, there's tons of great athletes in judo who are horrible senseis, horrible coaches. They don't teach very good, but just somebody who had that roadmap of how to get there and how to get back. I felt like we needed to hand them off. You know, we would get them up to a certain point. I felt, I felt confident in our abilities to be able to get our athletes up to like a senior national caliber athlete. But then at that point we need to hand them off and then start on the next group and let the, let the pe people that we're handing them off to take over and, and hopefully guide them the rest of the way up and down that mountain. So what kind of conversations or how, how influential were you to, for, or as a mentor to Steven at that time where he was leaving Washington to go to San Jose and then later Jason Morris and then Jimmy Pedro. Um, I mean, he would want to answer that one, you know? Okay. There's always a path, you know, we were there for him, Jason, the way I would look at it, at least as far as I'm concerned with, with Travis, um, our, the relationships, if, if it was a, a parental kind of a thing, I would say Jason would be his, his like a kind of a, the father figure. So Travis could come to Jason for, for anything. And I would be more older brother or uncle and a training partner and 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 you know that kind of thing giving him give him advice on on how to you know navigate certain situations and, and whatnot so you know I, you know i people have said oh it's because of you travis is who he is and and whatnot but you know he from from day one he had a certain mindset and you know we were you know at least for as far as i'm concerned i was just you know i'm glad that i was part of the journey or, or whatever that, that, that got him to where, where he was. But, you know, he, you know, he was a, a determined person from, you know, pretty much since I've known him um, yeah. when I started, he was like a purple belt when I started judo, you know, and had already been like a multi-time junior national champion when I started judo. So, um, but, you know, it, just anything to help push him along. And like Jason was saying, you know, that, that path, you know, he, he did everything he could to, to, to help push him along a certain path. And, and, and again, like, like Jason was talking about with, with letting, you know, letting somebody go and explore different options. That's, you know, even to this day, like we don't, you know, let our athletes just stay in our, dojo. Hey, don't go visit here. Don't go visit there. Like when mm -hmm. I was coming, 
you know, and I'm an adult, but it's still kind of, we had to sneak away just to kind of go work out at Budokan, you know, twice a week. I remember those days. And visit other dojos, you know, because, you know, the relationships weren't always like that, especially uh, with, with Jason's dad. But, you know, so like we have an open door policy. Hey, you want to go work out there? Or you want to go work out here? You know, get those experiences. And and, and Travis was kind of a big part of that. He would, he would go everywhere. You know, he he's at every dojo. You know, if they, if you know, he would go to Canada, he'd go to Budokan, he'd go to Kent. He'd go, I mean, he, he'd go everywhere just to get as much, you know, reps and, and mat time as, as he could. So we would tell him, we we're like, hey, we're only open three days a week. You know, you need to fill in the other four with someone else, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you're, you know, like Byron was saying, he would go, he would go to, he would go to NAS Whidbey all the way to Whidbey Island. We, you know, we'd go there. He'd go to, you know, he'd go to Bob Whitauer's club at, at Emerald City. He'd go to the Budokan. He'd go, he'd go wherever he needed to go. And or if we weren't working out that day, he would go and, and train. And, and that was our deal is we like, we're like, you have to fill in those other four days. We don't care. And I think it's work. I don't know if it's cocky or confident. We're confident enough in our ability that we know what, what we're teaching and we know kind of the program that we had. And so we were not afraid. And if somebody wanted to leave and go to a different program or different dojo, then they were free to do that. We don't have guns to anybody's heads, you know, they don't, right. it's, we don't have contracts or anything like that. If, if they feel like they can get better training someplace else, then, then we would rather them do that than quit judo. Because I think too often you see people where they're like, Oh yeah, I really don't like being at this dojo anymore. And the alternative is, is I'm just going to quit judo forever. Right. Because the, the, you know, there's no other option. It's not like I can just leave this dojo and go to this other dojo, you know, cause it would be seen as, as, you know, something you just can't do. Right. So they would quit. Right. I would never put somebody in that position. I would rather them just go to another dojo and still do judo and then to, um, then to quit forever. So he, Travis started, at your dad's place? Yeah, he started when he was six. He was almost seven when he started judo. Then and, he got uh, he got seriously injured, didn't he? And then he was out for a while. Yeah, when he was um, when he was thirteen. Well, what he happened was is um, when he was um, twelve or thirteen years old, he started. He just get started getting hurt all the time. You know, at local tournaments, he just get he was just getting hurt all the time. And his mom, Anna took him out of judo when he was about 13 and and then he just he didn't do judo anymore and then um he actually hurt his knee really bad um in tennis when he was like 14 or 15 you know 14 i think it was and um he had to have knee surgery he like tore his acl and then he had surgery and then um, um we opened up epon in february of 2001 and then by June of 2001, he came back to judo and, you know, and he had a tough decision. He had a super tough decision of what he was going to do at that point in his life, in his career. Right. Um, do I go to my sensei's dojo or do I go to this unknown kid's dojo that might or might not be able to get me further than his father? And I would not have wanted to be in his mother's position or his position at all. Because what, what do you do at that point? You right, know? Yeah. I mean, you just, and he did. He went to my dad's club. Yeah, we and, were. And it was small. It was, it was him and I and maybe one other guy. And, and basically, it would be him and I fighting and doing all that for a couple hours every practice. And, and, and that's all it was. And it was a good time for me, at least then, because he was just then coming back. And, you know, I had a good handle on him. 
you know. Yeah, he was he was about <laughs> things changed. <laughs> things did change. He was about he was in ninth grade, so he was about you know he was probably in um, he was about fifteen, fifteen almost sixteen when he came back. I think he was fifteen when he came back. So, yeah, he was in ninth grade, and so Byron was working out with him mostly, you know, twice a week, and then um, he was coming over to my dojo, you know, during the week too. And but he was but he was my you know, he had, when he came back, he was with my dad and, you know, and he would always, you know, and you get these questions. I don't know if you've been through this before, but you, you know, I got super tough questions at that age. You know, I mean, I had, we had another you know, young guy who's not so, you know, he's not young anymore, but his name's Mike Joy. And um, he's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's a great fighter. Um, and he was kind of an up and coming um, judo player. He was, you know, he had started when he was a little kid with my dad and, and I remember him coming over to me going, I don't understand why I'm not allowed to work out with you. Like, why, why aren't I allowed to work out with you? Like we're in America. Like I don't have a, I can't make a decision yeah. like where I can work out and where I can't work out. He goes, this doesn't make, cause I told him he couldn't work out with me. I said, you have to go work out with my dad. And, and he was just like looking at me like cross-eyed. He could not understand why that was, you know, he couldn't fathom the, the idea of that. So Travis too. Travis was like, I, I, I don't understand this. Like, you know, you're telling, you're telling me this and this is what I want to do, but I'm not allowed to do that, you know? And so <clears throat> it was super tough. It was super tough. Cause they were just kids. They're just teenagers, you know? Yeah. And, and to try to have that conversation with them was, was one of the hardest things, you know, that I had to do at that time. So. Yeah. Even like for me as a kid growing up doing judo was just like weird, you know, like I was friends with Kent Nishimura I still, still am, but yeah. Or just other other kids from other different dojos, but it was it's like we're friends, but I can't go to your house because my mom doesn't want me to be <laughs> it was like one of those <laughs> situations. It was weird. You know, or yeah. my dojo's better than your dojo or something. It's just yeah. Bad yeah. bad memories just in my head. It's you know, those and that's like that's the those are the those are the things that I did not want for these kids here once I started my dojo. I did not want that to have have I didn't want that in our area anymore. I didn't want those walls to be up, you know, in our Yudanchikai or in our state. It's just we wanted to break those all down one by one, you know. And um I think we've gotten to the point where we're at that point now, where everybody, you know, there's still a couple of dojos, you know, that are a little yeah, bit course. guarded. You're always going to have that, but I think for the most part, a lot of people are okay with it now. So, and that's huge strides to compared to where it was. But it's yeah. But as far as that was, yeah, that was a tough situation because you know Byron was was teaching. My brother was teaching at my dad's dojo, and um, and I was um, teaching you know at my dojo with my ex wife and one of our my senseis George Smith, and um, you know we had a, we had a certain amount of athletes that were part of my dad's club before that came over with me. And so it was, um, it was a difficult situation all in all, you know, but. I'm always amazed just to see how judo has grown so much back home and, you know, come back from back when we did judo, you guys remember when we had like those, uh, with like those little canvas things that we had to pull across the wrestling mats and we had wrestling mats, duct, yeah. <laughs> duct tape on there and, and yeah 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 and now I you remember, guys yeah, got like nice mats dolomer and, mats swain mats yeah. <laughs> we used to fight on those like uh because like uh Furman garcia used to have those at, in spokane all the time and we'd get 
burnt up. You guys had those at the high school too, right? Like at yeah. Kentwood, at Kentwood, George, George Uchida had those there. We yep. get mat burns all over our feet and our stuff and our face. It was and... weird. You'd be like slipping on the mat. Slippery, yeah, like, yeah. they're yeah. super slippery. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's an Oshawa's a master on those, you know? <laughs> I felt like you guys were cheating, Joe, because you wouldn't make the mat as tight, so we would like fall, so we couldn't even get our throws in. Like You guys were like, oh, we'll make it a little looser. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're doing judo against yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the snow or the sand, yeah. Yeah, Furman Garcia, man, he. Uh, I did not know that he was in Okinawa as well. Did Furman and your dad were they ever stationed together? You know, I don't know that. I don't know. Yeah. You know, we. Um, I don't. I don't know. There was a there's a sensei who I when I took over the the program on the Kadena Air the Air Force Base, mm-hmm. the sensei there, um, he's like, oh, I know Furman Garcia and Scott and all of them. And he was stationed out here. And I was like, Oh man, I didn't know that. I knew your dad was out here, but I wonder if they ever knew each other during that time, but crazy. I don't know. I think my dad was, uh, I think my dad might have was, um, a little bit older than, um, Sensei Garcia. So, okay. Dude, yeah. your dad scared me, man. <laughs> scared everybody. <laughs> Even grown men. Yes. Yeah. Even exactly. grown men. Yeah. He was a little, a little bit rough around the edges. I remember the last uh, tournament that I competed in. I beat that uh, kid from San Jose, Atsushi, in the finals. And then uh, your dad was ref in the match. And, you know, I did, I got a Wazari. And then I kind of just hit the brakes and was kind of stalling a little bit, you know. And then at the end, your dad walked over to me. He's like, pointed at me. He goes, I almost penalized you. (laughs) And they just walked away. I was like, oh, sorry, sir. (laughs) Did he yell at you or did he say it nicely? It was just, you know, a very firm, you know, with his his eyes, his eyes. I, I can visually like remember his eyes, like they just pierced right through me. Like <laughs> it was just weird. Sorry about that. No, it's 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 a good memory. It's a good memory <laughs> it, of your dad. Adult character. You know, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, what what are some of the I guess challenges you've had? Or as far as coaching wise, what have you learned or what have you changed along the way in the last 20 years since you've opened your dojo? Mm. Maybe some things that, you know, you're like, oh, you know, I, I've, I've changed up this type of style of coaching or my philosophy of things or, and it could be anybody, Byron or Jason. Well, I think we have a good, we have a good balance. Okay. So uh, if there was going to be a coach at our dojo, who's going to lose their mind and flip out, that's going to be him. <laughs> I'm going to be on the other side. I'm going to be on the other side and I don't flip out as much, but you need us both because, you know, where sometimes I'm more passive and I could maybe, you know, speak up more, you know, he's there for, for that. But personally, what I've learned, I used to try to have people fight like, you know, me, because basically I'm trying to teach my techniques or what, you know, whatever, but what I've learned to do, especially as the kids have gotten older, not everybody's like me, They're, you know, just body types are different. Some people are taller, some people are smaller. So what I've, I've kind of learned to do is, um, you know, he brings them up to a certain level, then they come to my class and, you know, he gets them prepared for whatever. And then usually I like to specialize. So instead of me saying, hey, um, you can't do this throw anymore because, you know, unless it's just terrible, but, you know, um, I like to take what they do and just make it better. I feel like that's what's, because if that's your nature, if you're gonna be that kind of person, then that's gonna be your nature. So my job is to help 
make them better at what they do. Because by the time they get to, you know, at least my class, um, they're, you know, they already have their fundamentals. They already have good tournament game plan and, and whatnot. So now it's time for me to sharpen what makes them better. And then also learning each person. Some people need a little more pushing. Some people need you to kind of talk to them. Some people need, um, you know, different things. Some people need encouragement. Some people don't. Some people just want, you know, just want that feedback and some people, you know, don't. So, you know, just kind of learning to navigate to bring the best out of, you know, each individual player, you know, have different relationships with the different students and, and whatnot. So, you know, just kind of based on what I feel that they need. Um, and then usually that's how I am in coach. The thing that kind of hurts um, is I'm super purist as far as my, I want to have them just be better, just be better than the person that you're fighting. Okay. So like, if, if they're going to come to me and say, Oh, the ref kind of screwed me over on this call, or I should, that should have been in and I, and I am more of, you should have thrown them better, or you shouldn't have gotten thrown for the call, you know, or getting thrown, you shouldn't have gotten thrown and got the Wazari or what you thought was a no score or whatever. So that's kind of, where I've kind of evolved and, you know, and, 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 and made it as opposed to kind of just flying by the seat of my pants a little bit earlier on, you know, when I was more in my competitive mode. Yeah. It's hard to, uh, to change that. Right. I remember when I first took over that program, I was like, okay, we're going to do all these Uchikomis. We're going to do all these Nagikomis. Mm -hmm. And then like, why isn't this working? You know, I got to take a right. step back and be like, okay, well, maybe we got, we got to change a, a different approach to this. You know, why are we doing this? And, make it more fun. And I don't know, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Usually what, you know, like what I try to do is make them understand why. So I try to answer all their questions before they can ask them. So kind of like Jason was saying earlier, when we plan out, we have a specific way we like to do it. You know, we want to show them kind of step-by-step. Step. So like a small example is, okay, I'm going to teach you Epon sale this certain way. And I want you to do these certain steps. I want, I want you to do these. I know you can do it this way, but this is how I want you to do it um, for this particular reason. And then we'll go through it and then we'll progress. Okay. So now this one, this is, we're going to learn this other throw and it's going to kind of be based on, on this. And then basically I'll show them some kind of transition. So you can fake this one and then it ties right back into the sale that we were working last week or last month or whatever. So that way they're like, Oh, so now they kind of understand the reason he's having me take the step is because it's going to help me transition into this next thing or, or whatever. So after you kind of start to build a little equity with them, um, then they don't question it quite so much. They're always going to, you know, they're young, younger people and they're always going to, well, what, what if this or what if that, but generally they kind of let me, you know, go and they kind of trust in, you know, kind of what, what I'm, you know, what I'm saying. And I always let them know that there's nothing that's end all be all that, oh, but you know, what if they're going to counter me this way or whatever, like that can happen. But, you know, if you understand where your techniques are faulty, then um, you can have a better defense as far as what counters or, or where you might be open if you, you know, do something off, off base or, or whatnot. So, you know, it's kind of building that trust with them. And, you know, since I've known them since they were kids and worked with mm -hmm. them since they were kids or, you know, you know, at least been around them. And then, you know, through all these tournaments and stuff, they, they kind of, you know, give a little more, you know, respect as far as, you know, understanding what I'm trying to do, not just throwing one technique here and then, oh, let's throw this technique there. We usually really try to make it cohesive yeah. as far as what we're doing, not just some random techniques, you know. I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of senseis that will just teach each technique, you know, like they're doing Osotogari and they're doing Sayanagi, then they're doing Uchimata, you know, and then they're doing Ogoshi. 
we do it more in uh, as we more we do it more um, in a in a sequence of different module. Things. Yeah, like a module. Yeah. yeah. So we're putting modules together of how we want it to go in sequence, why that's going to tie into the next thing, and how it's going to work. So they know, you know. So when they they already have a set, when they go into like a tournament situation, they know what grip they're going to look for. They know what they're going to do off that grip. They know what um, technique they're going to try. They know what counter is going to come. They know what they're going to do after that. They know what niwaza they're going to go into from that. What turn they're going to do. So they have they have all of that game planning already in their head of what's going to happen first, what's going to happen second, what's going to happen third, what's going to happen fourth. And then, but in between those things, if something doesn't go exactly that way, then they're going to be able to modify and adjust for it. So they have this game plan going into their tournaments before they start each match. And that was important for us to do, to be able to have that sequence and game planning in their heads prior to it. And we practice it that way. Um, That way. And that's, and that's why we, we have such a high expectation of, of, what they should be able to do in a live situation that that's part of the reason why I get so pissed when it doesn't happen or they don't follow through what they're supposed to do. Like, like I have my responsibilities. Byron has his responsibilities. They have their responsibilities. The referee has their responsibilities. The parents have their responsibilities and I'm doing all my responsibilities, right? Like I feel like, okay, Maybe 90% of it was our responsibility, but you had this like 10% part that was your part, you know, and this is all you have to do. <laughs> and if, and if you don't do your 10%, then I'm going to be pissed, you know? And so, cause I have this, ex- not because I'm mad at them for failing or not because I'm mad at them because they didn't, you know, but a lot of times it's, it's maybe they didn't, um, they didn't try hard enough. Um, a lot of times it's because they didn't practice, you know, practice it hard enough. Um, it's usually not because, I'm mad at them because I just, you know, I just can't stand them losing. That's not what it is. I feel like we've put in so much work to get them to that point and give them, you know, what they need to succeed and to be successful. And then then their only thing is to try to follow through with that, you know, and and to, and to give it everything they have. Uh, And and that's the main thing is if we, if they've just give it everything they got, then we're going to be happy with that. But sometimes, you know, I mean, even Travis has done that before where, where we've given him a certain game plan and, and, you know, and maybe we felt, I felt like he didn't try as hard as I wanted him to, or, or he made a mistake and, you know, and, or maybe it's the same mistake over and over again where we want to just fix, you know? So that's part of it too. And the other thing too, is that we use local tournaments, local tournaments to us, you know, to me, um, it's, it's a training, it's a training ground, right? It's, it's right. not, it's not that, end game i think a lot of people think that it's the end game to them it's the super bowl but for you know to in my opinion and i think in our opinion you know we're we're fighting these local tournaments to see if what we're doing in class is going to work um on in a live in a live situation so local tournaments is how we evaluate that to get to a national level yeah. and then hopefully you know to an international level so that's kind of what we use local tournaments for is to evaluate what we're doing um, as teachers. Yeah. One of the things is like, like he was just saying, we don't really emphasize, you know, we don't, I mean, obviously we love people to win and, and whatnot for the, you know, for their confidence, but we don't care. So if somebody loses, we're not, Hey, you know, we, we don't, we never will yell at somebody or, 
or, or get on them because they've lost the match. And, you know, it's not some kind of high pressure cooker, but mostly like he was saying with, with game plans or, or whatever, if we say, Hey, we want you to, Hey, first thing you do is go out and grab this person's left sleeve. First, that's the first thing you do is try to get control of their left sleeve. And then they, uh, we're just going to go overhand and do this first. Like that's more, that's going to be the, the driving force that kind of drive us crazy. And we understand like, Hey, you're trying to get the hand and you know, some people are just good or they're, they're not cooperating. Mm. Give it an effort, you know, give it an effort. If it doesn't right. work, you know, then we'll work on it or, or, you know, and, and, and sharpen it up. But you know, Hey, you know, but <laughs> I was, we were probably talking about this a couple of weeks ago. It's like, you're sitting in, in somebody's chair. Hey, and they look at you like, look at me, you know, I, I'm really big. Hey, look at me so we can have eye contact, you know, in some kind of break or whatever. You grab his right hand, grab her right hand first. The first thing you do is grab their right hand. And then what do they do? They come out and put their right hand on the lapel or, or try to go over and like, yeah. and then, oh, I got thrown in like, yeah, you know. And it's not because, it's not because um, we don't want them to fight how they fight. It's a lot of times it's because we're trying to see if something else works. We're trying to try to grow in a live situation. And so if Give we're trying options. to get, yeah, if we're trying to, we're getting them live action of trying to make a certain thing work. And if they don't even try that, they might just want to do what they've always done to win that match, for instance, right? But they might not grow as a judoka. They might not grow as a competitor. They might not grow right. as a competitor. Um, you know, there were times in Travis's career, you know, and when he was younger, where I remember specifically there was one tournament. I don't remember where we were. I think we were at the state championships at Cantwood or Kent Ridge or one of the, one of their, somewhere it was there. Might've been, you know, Kent Lake. I don't know, but Travis, we were working on a Yoko Tomoinagi with Travis. And there was another time where we were only working on his standing Ipon Tsunagi from the left hand on lapel. And, and, I knew that he could just go into any match and win. Okay. But it's not about just going into a match and winning. It was how he was winning. It was how he was, what he was doing, what techniques he was doing and how he was doing it. We were trying to grow him, uh, you know, on certain things in a live situation. So I would have him go with that. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No. So, uh, you know, there was, there was times where we would tell him, we're like, okay, the only thing you're going to do for this entire tournament six matches, five matches is you're going to punch your left hand on the lapel. You're going to, you're going to try to break his grip with your right hand and you're going to go in for a standing Nagi on the right side. That's all you're doing. That's the only throw you're allowed to throw this whole tournament. I don't care if you lose every match. That's the only thing you're going to do this entire tournament, you know? And I remember even telling other people that he was going to fight. Hey, he's only going to do Iponsei Nagi on the right side, <laughs> you know, <laughs> from left hand on lapel. And so his only goal was to try to get, get that off in a live situation and to, to go through that match um, and do it. There was another time where uh, we were working on his Yoko Tomoinagi, you know? And so the only thing he was trying to do in that entire tournament was uh, you do a Yoko Tomoinagi and, and he ended up being good at it. He ended up being great at it. In fact, and a lot he of people thought being, it was cocky. A lot of people thought we were trying to be, cocky. Yeah, they, Oh, you just can, you know, like that, but that's not, it's, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, def, it wasn't about them at all. It was about, us it was about him it was about how we wanted him to do it and 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 the um how we wanted him to perform it and so i think a lot of people took that the wrong way when whenever we would try to do that in local tournaments it was a it was a training tool for us you know we tried to use it as a training tool 
Because, you know, like, like I told him, I was like, you know what? I don't care if you go out and you win every single local tournament and take first place. That's not the goal because you're never going to grow. You're never going to grow as an athlete, you know. Your, your, your goal is to grow. And the only way you're going to do that is to be able to, you know, in practice and in local tournaments, which is practice. Um, and so. Especially if he had loftier goals to be an Olympian. You know, yeah. one of the things that he told me earlier on, especially when, when he first came back, is he, there's people out there who like resumes, like say, hey, I made a world team. And, and again, that's a great co- accomplishment. It, it's, you know, it's great and, and that's fine. But he wasn't, oh, I want to make it to the Olympics. He, he has never told me, yeah, I want to make it to his Olympics. His thing he always said was, I want to win the Olympics. I want to win. I want to win gold at the Olympics. That was his goal. Every tournament that he went to, maybe outside of world championships, did not care about. He didn't, if it's not the Olympic gold, he didn't really care about it so much. Um, and, and that, you know, that that's a big difference. He didn't care about, oh yeah, I made this many teams. I won this many national championships. He, he didn't care about any of that stuff. His, his goal is I want to win the Olympics. And that's kind of when I knew, not knew that he was going to be the person, but that's when I, you know, you can kind of understand the mindset of a person like, I, no, I'm, I'm not trying to just go here and, and, and be here for the food and, and the cake. I, I want to take over. I want to win it. I want, you know, to be that guy. And, and that's, that's how his mindset was. And that's how he trained. And that's how he, you know, always was, or, you know, up, at least when he decided to, to make that, that leap. We weren't going on vacation. That's the thing. I think, <laughs> I think a lot of people look at, you know, national events, you know, especially like just domestically. Um, a lot of people see it as, oh, we get to go to Orlando and maybe we can hit Disney World while we're there or, we're, you know, we're going to L.A., so it's going to be a Disneyland trip or, or whatnot. And to us, it was a business trip. We're like, no, these are these are business trips until you're done fighting. And then that's when a vacation can start, you know, and, and that was our mentality um, throughout was don't be planning your vacation around this national tournament because you know, you're not going to go there and sit in the sun and go to there and go to the pool every day. And um, and that's it. Um because that wasn't that wasn't the goal. The goal was to was to go there and to um, yes have fun, but the business part happened first of of competing in this national event, and then the vacation can start. I said you guys can, you guys can knock yourselves out soon. You know, it's the second your last match starts, you can you can knock yourself out. I don't care what you do, <laughs> you know, as long as your parents are okay with it. I don't care what you do, but up until that point, <laughs> this is what we're gonna do. Yeah, you know? that so. mental toughness and focus and. All of yeah. that. For people who are on that path, who want that path, not everybody has to be that way. So it's not like we push, like if, if there's a person in our class and they never want to step foot on a, on a, on a competition mat, but you know, they that, don't have to. Yeah. It's for people who want that choice. So we don't push everybody. No, you have to start competing. You have to do this, you know? Yeah. And if you compete, you know, you know, there, you know, especially the way, like you, we were talking about coaching, there's people who um, like we, one of our top students right now, um, Davon Johnson, um, he, you know, he, you know, he wanted to, he wanted that, you know, that he kind of had that higher Olympic type world, world competition kind of aspiration. So that's kind of how I pushed him. And then we had other people who still went to nationals and stuff, but you know, they just kind of just, Hey, let me just throw my hat in the wind and you kind of see what happens. And, and that's fine too. So, you know, yep. there, there's going to be a different expectation. There's going to be a different way that I push or work with that person who, you know, just, you know, still kind of recreational, even if it's, I'm going to nationals. Yep. But yep. the people who decide, Hey, I'm really trying to, you know, 
do something, then, you know, that's how I'm going to treat you. So yeah, exactly. The practice and you're talking about, I want to be this. Well, you know, you, you can't miss a practice. You know, if you would have came to us, Joe, and you would have been like, Hey, Jason Byron, I want to be, I want to be an Olympian. You know, I want to get as high as I can in America. Then I want to move on and go to one of these training centers, you know, or I want to go to Japan and just train there or overseas someplace. You know, if you would have said that, we would it would have been foot up your rear end all day long until we got you to that point. You know, yeah. if you say if you came to us and said, this is what I want, then we would make sure that that's what you got, you know. But there's a lot of people, you know, like they talk about there's, you know, everybody wants to be a lion until it's time to do lion things. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like everybody wants everybody wants to be a champion until it's time to train like a champion. And that's that's what differentiate, you know, a lot of the people, the people that say they want to do it and the people that actually do it it's it's two different things i didn't want to do it you know me neither me neither <laughs> yeah you either me neither yeah i didn't want to do it yeah so. i thought i did too but i just one i didn't know the the path mm-hmm. and right. two i had no one to light the fire and kick me in the ass to, to do it and getting my ass kicked in japan i mean i wanted more of it but then, and then at a certain point i was just like huh i think i'm good yeah it's that that grind when you really you know some yeah. people some people want that. Some people don't. That's when I, you know, not that, I mean, I started judo way too late to really try to do something like that. But, you know, at a certain point I realized, you know what, I couldn't have judo as my job as far as training goes. You know, that's, you know, I love judo so much. I don't miss practice. I don't even me just as a, as a sensei, I'm not even out competing or anything. I, like I rarely miss practice. I don't, you know, if I'm not at practice, something has happened unless, you know, we're on some kind of vacation, but even we plan. Like he has a kid or something like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I had a kid. I took a day off. But, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, so, and that's just me. So it's like, you know, if, 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 if I didn't want to make it my job, as far as training goes, then, you know, we don't push anybody, but our practices, are structured everybody's kind of working hard because i believe that's what we have some older people who come to practice and stuff and i think that's what they want they want to come there not to get their butts kicked but they want to come there and work hard and have somebody kind of pushing them to you know, hey you know you would have quit this round if i wouldn't kind of are you sure you want to sit down this one you know again even if you're not a national level competitor but you know and that's what i another thing i tell people after practice like hey even though you're not going to um to you know these kind of tournaments or whatever you're in here competing with national level you know some of the best mm-hmm. kids or best young adults in in the country um and you know so you're in there so you know just kind of let you know because you know we usually do you know fairly decently when we go you know at least out of you know out of the state and, and nationally and stuff so it's like you're competing with and, and working out with some of the best in the country so you deserve to be here so like when somebody feels a little you know less confident about what they have going on or, or whatever, like, Hey, you know, you're in here competing with, with this person or, or that person. And, and, you know, even though they're getting you, but you know, you got to realize that's one of the best people in the country right now. And, and you're in there, you know, banging heads with them. So when you fight regular people, then, you know, you'll, you'll notice a difference. Cause yeah, you know, you go to a different dojo. That That's kind of how it was for me. Like I would fight, uh, you know, at practice or, or whatever with, with all these black belts and stuff. And they would just, throw me around, foot sweep me and, you know, just make me feel like I, like, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> and then you would go somewhere else and fight other black belts. And you're like, Oh, it's different, you know, you know, or, or, or lower ranks. And you right. like, oh, if it's different, you know, so, you know, we, we try to, you know, keep that same, same energy going. The levels of, of judo is crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you like, when you grab somebody and you're like, Oh, 
I'm yeah, gonna you fu- know. I'm gonna get yeah, fucked you, up. Yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> off of that initial grip, off of that initial grip, off of that initial grip, and or you know when you get a good eye, you know I'm not a world level competitor or anything like that, but you can watch somebody doing Uchikomi. He's like, oh no, they don't got it. You know, yep. they, you, you know, just even a gi never gives anything away, but you know just how they carry themselves in their gi, yep. like mm, I don't know, I don't know, buddy. <laughs> Joe, a funny story about that is. Um, so in, a few years ago, when I, I took when, uh, my son Isaac and Patrick Mendiola, I don't know if you know him, but I know the name. I I, I think I know the face. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's always on. He's a Fuji model. He's a he's, lot of, the, he's a Fuji model. Okay, yeah. he, okay. Is he with? He's with Pedro. He's back home now. Oh, he's back home now. Okay, yeah. I, I know so, the. Yeah, I know the. I know the face. I know you're talking about. Yep. When um so and so when we went to Japan um we were at we were um at this um, dojo um. Kosei Inui's son worked out there and they were all white belts because nobody, every, everybody that was in that dojo was before they went to high school. So mm-hmm. they were middle schoolers at the, at the old. Right. They're probably like, yeah, third year, junior high. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and Patrick, Patrick had already taken third silver in our senior nationals three times at that point. Wow. And my son, you know, and my son, my son was a, a, a junior national champion and junior U.S. Open champion, you know, and my son did well as a junior and, you know, and so he's no slouch either. But I knew, I knew just at that point, like, you guys are going to be in trouble. This is, this is not going to be a walk in a park. You guys aren't just going to blow past these junior high kids, you know, and, you know, and they kind of were like, oh, whatever, you know, come on. They're, they're just, they're just junior high kids, you know. And I remember they were teeing off on Patrick. <laughs> and Isaac and all the other Americans that were there teeing off on him. And, and after the sensei uh, stopped and switched rounds, there would be like 20 or 30 little white belt middle schoolers that were in line that raised their hand, running up to, to the Patrick, like he's handing out candy, you know, and wanted the next round with him. And they were just running after these guys, these black belts, <laughs> you know, and, and there'd be, and they're just like, Oh my God, you guys have to stop, just stop, you know? And, and, he got his ass, they got their ass handed to him every single round. I mean, didn't even get a throw in, you know, and these, and all these kids were just on the side, like, like, <laughs> yeah, I'm next, right. I'm going to get this. Yeah, they, next they, round, they, were yeah. All, they were all getting in fights with each other. Who, who was going to be next middle schoolers, you know, and these, and they were grown men, <laughs> you know, I have a, sim- a, yeah, I have a similar story. I, you know, when I won that, uh, that high school nationals and then I didn't know what I wanted to do after high school. So my dad said, you know, we'll send you to Japan. You can do judo. Great. And I went to Kokushikan High School, which was the number one high school at the time. And Kokushikan has, you know, the type of school kind of like Tokai where it's college, high school, junior high. They recruit from all over Japan. And if you <clears throat> if you want to be a serious judo competitor and, you know, maybe after you graduate, you'll be a, a policeman or work for the, the school or go to train. That's that's the school to go to. And I was just getting slaughtered by 16, 17 year olds. Even the, the, the 14 year olds were, were hammering me, you know, <laughs> it's demoralizing. It's like, Oh my gosh, I ain't shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were, I mean, yeah, we just, just watching it happen. You're just like, and you know, and I, I tried to tell them before I was just like, Hey, just, you know, you got, you got to bring your a game, you know, it's like, I know it's just practice, you know, and they're all white belts and you're not taking them serious, but you need to take these people serious. You know, they're going to, they're, you know, they're going to come after you and they're going to come after you hard and they're not going to be mean about it. Right. They're not, they weren't mean. They were just having fun, just, yeah. you know, but they were just teeing off on them. <laughs> it's always fun when you're throwing people around. 
<laughs> yeah. Part is fun. <laughs> on the receiving end, not so much. Exactly. At this on the same trip, we were um on the same trip we were at Nitai Dai and Patrick was doing was doing um Rondori with uh Genki Koga. Oh. And and Patrick went in for Patrick went in for um any Ponce and Agi and Genki just threw his hips in super, super, super hard to block it because he was just gonna he was just gonna hip check him. And before Patrick went in super hard, he went into Koichi Makikomi and he blasted Genki Koga right in front of the sensei at Nitai Dai. And we were just like, and, and uh, one of the guys, one of the other black belts uh, from Arizona um, took pictures of this, right? And he had all these pictures of it. And we were just, and I looked, I just like looked over at Shintaro and I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> like <laughs> this isn't going to go good. And for the next, <laughs> for the next like 10 minutes, he just destroyed Patrick. You he just, woken he just, the beast. He destroyed him. <laughs> All right. That's enough of that. Oh, man. No, but it's, it is interesting that in those battles in Japan, um, I know it all too well. You know, the, the young kids are like, oh, I want to get this guy next, this guy, Gene. You know, uh, he looks strong. Is he strong? And like, I'm, I understand what you're saying. It's, it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll come after you. Yeah. And the senseis expect them to as well. Yeah. 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 They they had an expectation of this is what was gonna happen, right? And and if you didn't get to that expectation, then they're a little bit they're a little bit, you know, upset or disappointed yeah. or whatever. So what's your guys' thoughts on um the different rule changes and what rule sets do you do you like or does it even matter? For me, I I wasn't big uh, a leg grab person. Um so when that kind of went away. Um, it didn't affect me because I, I didn't, I wasn't a uh, leg grab or like big into Kataguruma so much, but especially re or within the last, I think the last rule change when they got rid of the two hand grip rake, that was, that was, that was har harder for me to deal with. But it, you know, fortunately for me, it was past my career when I, I didn't really have to worry about it, but I still try to follow the, the same rules and guidelines um, when I'm doing, or when I was doing a lot of randori with, with our guys, just so, you know, you know, I'm not doing something that they're not going to be used to. And to make sure that when I'm teaching something, I need to know what they're dealing with, you know, what they're dealing with or what, you know, what's going to be effective for them. But for me, the, the two hand um, grip break was. That was after the 12 Olympics when they switched it for 16. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it was after London, after London, they switched that to going into Rio. Yeah, I was a big grip breaker too. The two handed yeah. thing. I didn't do a leg grab. The only one I would do was like a Koichi ankle pick kind of yeah. uh, technique. But other than that, yeah, I wasn't doing double only, legs. Or... The only thing that was nice about it too is, and, and you know, our juniors did a lot. Our juniors did a lot of Kataguruma, a lot of, you know, we did a lot of Tegarumas, you know, and we, we utilized it because, you know, we just, we had so many more wrestlers that were good and they could cross train into judo. Uh, that it really hurt, in my opinion, you know, like we could get a lot of those quality kids that were wrestling into judo only because to a certain point they could they could come in at least be able to compete. And <clears throat> once that got taken away, you know, you would have some people that that normally would cross train. They wouldn't cross train anymore just because, you know, they felt like there was no advantage of their wrestling in that sport at all. So uh, now there's loopholes in the system, obviously, and you can figure those out, but 
I think we just had more people that were willing to try judo and to give it a shot before with the old rules. Yeah. So, yeah. What do, you, do you like the new ones now? Do you think it's, I mean, yeah, I know, I mean nothing's perfect, but. No, nothing's perfect. I mean, I think that, you know, um, with just the Wazari and Epones, it's, it's tough because it's, you know, the Wazaris are downgraded a little bit, you know, it's like. Wazari Yuko. Yeah. Wazari, what, what Wazari now is what Yuko used to be. And so everything's downgraded a little bit, it seems like. So it's, that's tough a little bit. Um, and, but to actually, you know, coach the rules, you know, it's, we, we've adjusted to them, I guess. You don't have any other choice but to, to adjust yeah. to them. So we get, we just kind of take it as it comes to us, you know. Um, now, internationally, it's hard because you can't, you can't, and they don't need it as much because once they're, once they're to those, when they're their level, they're all, you know, they're all strong. They're all fast. They're all good. They're all, you know, they're all great at judo. And then, and then, you know, the other things are what separates those people. But at that level too, you can't coach during the mates on the international level. And so, and even at the Pan Am level, you can't coach at the mates. And so getting them switched over to like kids judo to, to senior judo to, international judo there's a progression in that you know where where they're going to have to be a little bit more independent as they get up to that level and then you have to be able to prepare them for that um you know we, we see a lot of coaches and senseis make mistakes with their athletes because of that they might not you know necessarily understand you know what has to happen in the next the next level up so is there is there any kind of rule changes that you would like to see? Like in a perfect world, what kind of rules would you like, guys? Like, you ever thought about that? Bring back that two hand grip break. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but all the rules that they have done. So it, it depends on your style of judo, right? That's kind of what I yeah. see. Like I try to be a little more fundamental as far as what I do. So none of the rules really change. If you have fundamentally good judo, and then you know. The, the grip break stuff is just kind of more of an adjustment. It's not really stopping you. But if you had some, you know, even though Kataguruma is, you know, part of the Gokio and, and whatnot, you know, so, you know, and some of the Takarumas and stuff, but, you know, that's kind of outside of the traditional hip and, and shoulder throws and, and whatnot. I feel like if you have good judo, the rules don't really, you know, affect like it. Right. Like if I had to compete today with today's rules, even what I used to do back in uh, back in my day um, wouldn't be affected so much outside of that two-handed grip break. So, I mean, you know, and I, I like to think I have fundamental type judo, you know, um, yeah. cross-gripping and whatnot, you know. But like I said, if you want to throw something, it still allows you to do some kind of un unorthodox gripping styles and whatnot. You know, you just got to make sure you, hey, you got it and you go right away. So they still don't, they didn't make it like illegal to, cross grip or anything they they i think they did a good job about not just making it an instant shito if you cross grip or you know you gotta hey mm -hmm. you gotta get away if you're gonna do it so it kind of lends to that so if you kind of train with that in mind then it you know it alleviates a little bit of it so you know i, I believe if you have fundamental stuff then you know the, they can pretty much change the rules how they feel outside of you know outside of that, you know, it's just more annoyances. It just, if they, you know, the ultimate, if they brought it to where you just have to like, like in like the Paralympians, like for the, the blind competitors, like when you have to start with a grip, I mean, if they made that for everybody, 
then, you know, that's kind of like the ultimate, you know, cutting out all the fat. <laughs> and then, but if you have good fundamental judo, you know, that's not really going to, you know, affect you as much outside of, you know, the grip break. I mean, that would be like the, an ultimate thing. So anything outside of that, you know, you just got to adjust and everybody's equally handicapped with it. So, you yeah. Know. Yeah. I feel the same. I feel the same that if you have a good solid fundamentals of judo, then the rule sets mm-hmm. really don't affect you at all. Easy, easy yeah, if you have that. a lot of trick stuff that you like to do and stuff that can, that's, that's effective, you know, which mm-hmm. is great, you know, you know, you know, gives somebody a different look, but you know, that can only last so long. Kind of like what we were talking about earlier with, you know, how we tr- train our guys to, Hey, you're only going to do this throw this tournament, because what if your main throw, the, the number one throw that you do, you know, especially at that elite level, they, they game plan on you, you know, so unless you just have something like you're one of the outliers, you know, the Kosei Nui's or, show you know where you're just an outlier where it, they know what technique is coming and you could just do it no matter what because your technique is just that good you know people are going to find ways to try to shut down you know your, your number one technique and so what are you going to do are you just going to say oh, i'm just going to keep trying it or and have no options you know after that so you know the rules you just keep your fundamentals in it and it should you know work yeah. out i feel like it, it affected more the europeans than it did you know or, or maybe even the united states or south america or wherever more than maybe Japan or anybody else, but yeah, what I noticed, like especially on the international level, like you know where we had oh you know we have certain the Russian grips and all that kind of stuff. What I noticed is countries like Russia got a lot more fundamental, like they're throwing you know kind of Japanese not J- Japanese you know traditional throws, big uchimadas and nothing too crazy. You know you still have countries like Georgia or or some of the Mongolian countries that are not country like Mongolia. all the. Yeah. All the people that were doing good in the first place are still doing good. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. That people, 2008, like, that 2008 year, and like 2007, 2008 was like to me was like the worst ever. Yeah, it judo. was. It was tough. It it was t- it was tough because that was a big tough to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it was it was tough. I was like, what is this? It's like a wrestling match, <laughs> just like breaking grips and just you know, smiling yeah. and. Yeah, I do like the longer rent, like the longer time on the mat for Nawaza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so cool. Yeah, yeah. Ne- ne- Nawaza is a weapon. Nawaza is a it weapon. Is. That's another thing that we really focused on. We've been focusing on that because even even if you don't, you don't have to be a, a Nawaza specialist. But if somebody respects your Nawaza, it changes how they fight. It changes. Mm-hmm. If you're really worried about somebody having, you know, attacking me. That that's one thing. Hey, finish your Nawaza is one. You know, one of the things that we we've do. always been a we've always been a Nawaza heavy. Team. Oh, I know Jason because uh, <laughs> uh, two of your guys, including uh, one of them's on this podcast, uh, tapped me in a, in a tournament. So I don't. <laughs> did you that play was a Byron long before? time ago. <laughs> did you play Byron? I did at the uh, uh, at the Rainier Cup. I, re- I remember that. I remember that. Actually, I think it was in the same day. Who's the other gentleman? Uh, is it Co- Kobe? Kobe yep. Parmenter. Yeah, yeah, I think him and Byron got me with the same. I think they both got me with a clock choke. You don't want to know the funny thing? Okay, all right, Joe. This is the funny <laughs> thing about this. So, you know, we've my dad was my dad was heavy with Nawaza, you know, and so we've always been. I've always I personally have always been super heavy. You know, I started doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Um, you know, it was like right before UFC one. We had we had a lot of guys that were here. Like I was telling you, like Matt Larson, they were here um, at Fort Lewis in the ranger battalion before you know before anybody really knew what brazilian jiu-jitsu was like in 91 1992 mm-hmm. 
And I used to fight with those guys um, on Fort Lewis in BDUs all the time. And we would grapple. And I didn't even know what I was doing. They said, the only thing you're going to try to do is like armbar them or choke them and make them tap. And that was the only thing I had to do. And we were like out on the dirt or on wrestling mats or whatever. And, and I was like, okay. And they just said, okay, put this on. You know, I put like the top on the BDU tops and the bottoms. And they said, all right, and button it all the way to the top. And then you're going to fight all these guys. Like we're going to have, everybody's going to fight everybody. And I just want you to get them until they tap. You can do whatever you want. And, and I did that for um, a while and, you know, and so, um, and that was kind of like my first introduction to Brazilian jiu-jitsu at the time. And I didn't even know what it was. And it was, you know, it was like 1990, 1991. And so then I would always try to practice stuff on people. I'd practice on Travis when he was a little kid and, you know, and I'd practice on the, the little kids just to, to sharpen up my technique, you know, and we had a guy in our judo club named uh, Tony Alexander. He's a four-stripe black belt um, in the Carlson Gracie team with Marcelo Alonso here. And I used to just go, you know, we'd go tooth and nail all the time. I'd always, you know, I'd always want to beat him. I was like, he, and he wasn't even in jujitsu yet. And we were just, you know, I was always trying to get him, you know, and we were just battling each other. And we didn't even know what we were doing at the time. This is, this is, you know, very early on in BJJ and in, in Washington. So, it was always something that I felt like, okay, this is an advantage to what we do. If, if, you know, if we're doing judo and we get into the Nawaza situation, we have so many people who are good at wrestling that they're either going to pin you and stick you, or we're going to armbar or choke you, you know, in that order. We're never going to, we're never going to try to do a choke or an armbar over a pin. It's going to progress from pin to, you know, char- choke and armbar, never giving up position. And, and that was kind of my mentality going into it. Um, even when, even when Travis was little, I was always trying to get those guys to do more Niwaza, more Niwaza. And in fact, the first time I ever got a cauliflower ear, we were, we were, um, Travis and those guys, the kids were messing around and Travis need me right in the head. It's like right here. And that was the first time I ever got a cauliflower ear it was Travis was probably like eight years old and, and they were screwing around and he need me right in the head as hard as he could, you know? And I think I punched him right in the face <laughs> and, you know, he was probably like eight years old and I was, I was so mad and my ear blew up, you know, and then I got it, I got it drained or whatever. And then, but that was like the first time I, my ear ever got messed up. And I was always trying to get Byron and those guys to do Niwaza, more Niwaza. And they hated it. They were like, I hated it. I hate, I wish I would have, <laughs> I, my Niwaza is pretty good right now. And I wish I would have paid attention or not that I didn't pay attention, but it just, I wish I would have enforced it. So that's another reason why I'm really hard on those guys. Cause I, I, I coach up our guys to do what I didn't do, the stuff that, that I ran away from. So that way, because I know what it felt like to go to get tired and have somebody still on your back and, you know, somebody who like, I just can't quite throw him, but he's always going in, going in, going in, going in. And, and that, that's kind of, you know, that, that's kind of one of the things I kind of regret that I wish I would have focused harder on the Nawaza because I know what it's like when, because it changed when I went with guys who I knew were really good with Nawaza. It, it changed. I really kind of picked and cho- chose like the throws that I would do because I don't want that person on my back, you know, especially when I get tired. And if I'm worried about going to the ground, all that person has to do is worry about, you know, just worry about your throws. And then when it goes to the ground, you know, then, you know, you got the advantage. You fight, I tell them, fight just as hard as you are standing up let the person know that there's no break there's no rest if you can't turn them fine but let them know that they're not just gonna lay there and turtle up yeah. or, or make them know that. kobe 
Kobe's a jujitsu black belt too now. And, mm-hmm. and, um, he, he used to come to practice and he'd go through the exercises and then he'd go and sit on the side for 45 minutes while Nawaza was going. And then he would only come out when we were standing. And, and I used to get so mad at him because he moved <laughs> here from Colorado Springs just to, just to try to make a run at the 04 Olympics, you know? Yeah. And there was times where I would be like, all right, if you're going to walk off the mat and wait till it's time to do standing, we're going to do Nawaza the whole time. And we won't even get to the standing, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I would just force these guys. I'd get to the point where I'm like, all right, if you don't want, if you don't want to do practice unless we're standing, then we're going to do Nawaza the whole time. And there's going to be no Uchikomis. There's going to be no throws, no Nagikomi, nothing. Just straight from exercises to only Nawaza until we're done, until we bow out. <laughs> and then, and then finally, everybody was like, you know what we should do? We should do more Nawaza, you know? And, you know, and Travis hated Nawaza at the early time. He didn't like it as much, but then he started liking it a lot. You know, um, there was a time where, you know, where he just didn't want to do it. And then, and then he just, I think he realized that, that this is a way, this is just another way to win a match. You know, it's it's another way to win. It shouldn't be looked as a negative, looked on as a negative. So in fact, probably in that range, the first in that Rainier Cup, he beat you in the in the finals, right? No, not that time. Not that, <laughs> that time. We fought four times. I beat him twice. He's beat me twice. The first time I threw him for Epone um, at a Rainier Cup. The second time, um, obviously, he's getting better and better and better. We go to Golden Score. Uh, I beat him by Yuko at the time. Third time we fought, we fought uh, in for into Golden Score, and it was like a 10-minute match. He just kept, kept, keeps coming in for Nawaza, keeps coming in for Nawaza. I get out, I get out, I get out. I start to get tired, and then he arm bars me. And then the fourth time we fought was at a Rainier Cup, and he threw me with the Yokotomo. And that's when... Uh, so you need a rubber match now. No, <laughs> no, we don't. No, no we don't. No? No. I saw no, a video no, no. of him. He looks like he's, you know, he, he, he's no, in a body no, line no, now. No, don't, 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 no. That's... that. So kind of as he's progressing, as he's coming along, you know, um, you know, especially with Nawaza, like his Nawaza, I can go back and forth, especially earlier on, you know, I can get him, we can do stuff. Then he gets better, get, get, gets a little bit tougher, gets a little bit tougher. Even kind of early on in his jujitsu, when he started doing jujitsu, um, he would come and not that I could get him, but we can kind of go toe to toe. I could hold my own. I could feel respectable. And then there was uh, the last time, the last couple of times, but the when, when it really changed, when it jumped, it was like there was a, I don't know, maybe an eight month gap when he came back to visit and we were going. And, you know, it was one of those where I just feel like a white belt. Like, like I felt like I could not do anything like it, really helpless. And we were on our knees and um, there's some kind of like I do to like, you know, lower rank people where like you grab a cross grip and you kind of almost like a tile from your knees, you know, go and just kind of tip them over and knee on belly type of thing. And he did that to me. And I was like, whoa. And then I, I, I didn't even fight back. I just stopped. And I was like, wait a minute. No, no, we, we're, we're not doing that. That, that <laughs> you can't do that to me. That's, that's super disrespectful. He's, and, and he's like, no, I can do that anytime I want. And, you know, we have a great relationship. But he's like, no, I can do that anytime I want. And I was like, no, 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 you can't. And then I said, okay. And then we grip up. And he does it to me again, just, I mean, like, I know it's coming. I know what he's going to, and I was okay, it's different. And ever since that moment, like, you know, we'll go Nawaz and it's just, it's, it's not, it's not even, it's a different animal. It's a world-class athlete, black belt. Yeah. And it's different and it should be different. If I'm still hanging in there with him, then something's wrong. <laughs> I mean, you hang in for like at least two minutes, right? No, 
nope, nope, <laughs> not now, not now, not now, definitely not now. No, I'm, I was always I'm amazed really. at how quickly he progressed in jujitsu. Mm-hmm. He's, he's always been, he's always been. So when he was at San Jose, he was working out with Dave Camarillo um, mm-hmm. all the time. Um, but Travis never really got, yeah, Trevor, Trevor never really got belts when he was at um, AKA, AKA, right, Byron? Mm-hmm. Who? Yeah, or, AKA. Who, Travis? Yeah. yeah. No, he, he got his rank from uh, when he- I know. From, he was at AKA. Oh, yeah. In San Jose. Yeah, for Dave. Yeah. And then for he, Dave went, Hen- he yeah. went to Henzo's later on, right? Yeah, yeah. But when he was at San Jose, though, he was working out at AKA with Dave Camarillo. And, um, you know, and, and his Nawaza was just getting better and better and better. But Travis's Nawaza was always pretty, pretty solid, you know, like- we used to, I mean, we used to beat him up. We were hard on him. We, you know, it's just like one of those things where we used to beat him up so much and he just, he took such a beating and, and he just wanted more, you know? Yeah. So that was the thing. It felt super disrespectful. Like you tap him or you throw him and he get right back up. Like, okay. Like, right like in your face. Yeah. Right in your face. Right in your face. Not, not angry, not this, but it's just like, it's like he was like a, a movie killer where you know what it was like it was like whatever he was like jason Voorhees. you know yeah, where like right. you kill him, just kept coming and then all of a sudden you'd see him sit up you know with his night with his hatchet and you're just like jesus <laughs> like yeah you know what i mean like so it's like it's it was one of the things where like man i gotta beat this kid down yeah. and it's like he won't stop so in yeah. 2000 in 2012 when he had that match against that germ the, the guy from germany and yeah. they got like face to face. Remember that one point? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did that when you guys saw that? Were you guys like, "Oh shit, yeah, that's the Travis we know." Like, <laughs> it, it, it that that's a that was a that was a tough match for me because I, I mean it was so so tightly contested, and I'm biased. You know, I, I'm feeling like he won that match. Um, it's a great I, match. Yeah, and one of the things is before that Olympics, he he was here for a visit, and he was or we were talking. He was. Oh, we were wherever we were and we were talking and he was kind of complaining or we were just talking about like how he felt he was kind of getting a raw deal by referees because you know he, he kind of has an edge to him if you don't know him mm-hmm. you know he has an edge to him so he can come off a certain way and, and whatnot so he felt like a lot of the, the referees didn't like him or, or for whatever and that um he you know he he couldn't you know, he, he wouldn't get in the, wasn't getting a fair shake. And what I told him kind of like, how I would say, don't make, ex- not don't make excuses. I didn't tell him don't make excuses. I like, well, what you have to do is you have to beat them in a way that is un- undeniable. Like you can't leave it up to the referees to, you know, hopefully you pull it off and, and whatnot. And I understand it's the elite level and, you know, sometimes it's just like that, but you know, you got to choke them. You got to, you got to pin them. You got to throw them for fully pwn. So that, you know, it's pretty much undeniable that you know you won that match obviously it's not that easy but you know that's kind of what what you have to do and you know and especially in in that match you know i I was like man it just again like i said i'm biased i felt like he won that one but you know i did too yeah that was a tough 2012 in london that was a that was a tough uh that was a tough olympics for him you know he was he was on a roll too he yeah he he like submit like two guys in a row I, I feel like if he would have won, if he won that match, he's he won, he wins the gold. He wins. Yeah. The, I mean, because it was just you know, because he would have went against Korea, right, Byron? If he would have won that match, I, I can't remember because he had beaten a former world champion before that um, yeah. from Brazil, and I, I believe that's who it was. Yeah, yeah, and you know, he you know he didn't have an easy match. He beat tough guys, and then he would have beaten the former Olympian or Olympic gold medalist Ole, or did he? 
Ole win it that he, he was the he was the reigning Olympic champion. Yeah, yeah. So you know you would have taken out the a former world champion and Olympic medalist, um, and then he would have beaten um, Ole the you know and then reigning would have been easier. Champion. But you know, yeah. And it's, then you yeah. know it, after that match, he you know he was fighting against Canada, and you know and and I don't think before that he had ever lost to uh, um, Antoine Antoine. Valros. I don't. I don't think he had ever lost to Antoine before that, and you know, and then he fights him in the bronze medal match, and and he had spent everything he had, mentally and physically, in that in that semifinals to get to the finals. That mm-hmm. you know, and in the loss, he just you know he just couldn't, um, you know, he just couldn't do it. And uh, I remember when he came back uh, after the London Olympics, he came home. And I picked him up at the airport, and we went to uh, we went to Wajimaya to eat lunch, and we were watching uh, we were watching sumo. <laughs> you ever been there and watch sumo? Yeah. So we're just sitting there eating uh, eating lunch, and we're watching sumo, and just sitting there, and we didn't we weren't even talking. I just we were just sitting there eating, watching sumo, and people were coming up to him like like just strangers, you know. And it wasn't just like one; it was like a lot. And they were going, "You're Travis Stevens, aren't you, Travis Stevens? You were just in the Olympics, you know." And and there was a lot of people. At Wajimaya, that were were that recognized him there, and were asked you know asked him for his autograph or wanted to get a picture or you know and it was kind of cool that that so many people recognized him just you know at a at a grocery store you know and yeah we were sitting there eating and and I just I was just like you know I didn't even know what to say to him I was like I was I was so disappointed for him you know after that match and that Olympics you know and I didn't know what his you know. I didn't know what he was going to do next. I didn't know how his, how, what his state of mind was going to be, you know, if he wanted to go to the next Olympics or what, you know, I didn't know what he wanted to do going forward, you know? And so, you know, and I told him, I was like, man, I didn't know what to say to him. I just, you know, I mean, I felt so bad, you know? So definitely it was a tough thing watching that happen. You know, I did think that there was going to be a fight. I thought it was going to be a brawl when him and Ole went to face to face, you know? Yeah, I kind of. But so I, I felt, you know, just because I know him, I, I don't think he. It wouldn't have been him throwing. He no. would have offended, um, because I think he, even if he's mad, because he wasn't the one who was really upset. It so was Ole. He knows everything that's on the line that he's worked for. So I don't believe. I was kind of hoping Ole was gonna throw a blow. I was like, please, throw a punch. <laughs> <laughs> but me again, like me knowing him, like at that, at, at the end of that match. So even as exhausted as he was. Again, if he would have won that match and the flags would have gone the other way, then he, you know, like I said, I felt like he would have been undeniable. Even if I think the 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 hard part for me and and him, I would imagine, you know, I can't speak for him, but being that it was all all Ole, like if one ref, you know, if it was split decision, then you know, I, I believe even that was would have been a little bit easier for him to take, and then he perhaps would have done a lot better. Um, for that that bronze medal match but yeah you know, when he was standing on the side just because i know him when they had the kind of the face-to-face when they're showing um him and 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 antoine about to you know come out in in the shoot and like i just i you know i have every faith and and but i knew i was like mm, it's not going to be good for him even though he's you know he has a game face on but like i could just i could just tell i was like mm, he, he's not in it he's not in it and you know um, we really never talked about it until probably recent within the last year. I kind of talked to him 
about it and stuff. And, you know, he kind of opened up more about it and stuff, but, you know, and, and that was one of the questions I asked him. I was like, you know, you know, were you there? You know, everybody's a professional, you know, yeah, you're on that stage. I'm like, but how, you know, were you there? That was probably the first time I've asked him and it was a few months ago, like, were you there, you know, that match? And he's like, no, it was just, you know, he gave everything on that match. And just to kind of like, like I said, how he felt he got, you know, all flags against him, you know, kind of a thing that really, really hurt him. And it was kind of tough to see. I had only watched it um, that time live. And then I watched it recently. Um, you know, I've seen the highlight of the stare down part, but I've never, I hadn't seen the whole match since that, since that, that point, I've never seen the whole match until recently when I wanted to look at it and be a little more objective and see, well, did he, you know, you know, but still. What's what I love about it and why I think it's so iconic is that when you watch it, like if you didn't know about judo, if you didn't know who Travis Stevens was, Mm -hmm. would say, go watch that match and then go, read up and follow up on his career of when he started to when he came back in 2016 and, and won the, the silver uh, medal because that match just shows like in a snapshot of who he is like mentally, physically, mm-hmm. um, just throughout his career, like just grinding and, and going back mm-hmm. and forth and like nothing could stop him. And the only thing that stopped him was the referees. Mm-hmm. was the referee yeah. decision that was it yeah yeah it's uh it's an amazing match i, I feel like he is kind of especially during his run you know um kind of his style is very like the seahawks he, he he's kind of like you know that 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 team of the seahawks there like that you might not win well you know outside you might not win but that you don't want to play them you don't want to fight you wouldn't know that you were in a fight yeah, yeah. Yeah, you you're you're gonna get something. You're gonna walk away a little less of a person after. You're after. gonna wake up the next day like oh, my neck, my <laughs> yeah. neck hurts. That's yeah, always been kind of our style. Him out. Like... Not, not too many people blew him out. Not too many people just you know just bombed on him. You know it it happened, but you know it, it was always gonna be a, a real tough match. And you know if you're not up to the challenge, then you know it's not really gonna go your way. A lot. Another of uh, interesting story. Um, I don't know what year it was. I think my sister Naushka was probably a junior, maybe. I can't remember. Could have been a sophomore. But my dad said he was taking her to the high school nationals. And I don't know if you can remember this, Jason, but I think Travis went by himself. And you had asked my dad to look out for him. Yeah. Well, he went to... uh, I forget where it was. I I thought it was the high school nationals. maybe? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was that. 2002? Yeah. And I just remember my dad said, yeah, he, I guess he got lost or he got dropped off at the wrong venue or, and when my dad met up with him, he's like, man, there's just something about this kid. He was like, this kid's going to be good. And I didn't know who Travis was. Cause I think, cause by then I'd already left, I'd, I'd left home and stuff. So, and then, you know, fast forward all these years later, I'm like, holy shit, he was right. You know, did you guys ever like when you first met Travis or at what point did you know, like, oh shit, this, this kid's for real, this kid has the, the it was later it was definitely later on because you know when he started when he was six almost seven you know he was a good junior you know um i remember his so his his first junior nationals he um he fought in the wrong division we were in hawaii and he fought in the wrong division they put i don't know why but he got put in the wrong division somehow and he lost both of his matches and and at the time you know like i was only like i was only like 20 
but I was so mad. Like I was like, I was like, I was like upset. I was like, I cannot believe this just happened, you know? And he was just like, he was crying, you know, and he was so upset that he didn't do well, you know? And, um, and then they came and found me and they're like, we put Travis in the wrong division. He was like in the next age bracket and like two weights up. And I was like, in the, cause the kids looked like they were just huge compared to him, you know, at the time. And so, so he ends up fighting his, his the division he was supposed to be in and he takes first, he wins all of his matches by Epon, you know? And, and then, so he did well as a junior all the way up until he just right before, you know, when he was like 13, he just, he got hurt all the time. He was getting hurt. He was getting concussions. Um, he was getting injured and, you know, and so like his body wasn't holding up to, to that at a, like a junior Olympic, a junior national level, you know? And so, and then when he came back after his ACL injury, it was a little bit difficult, you know, because he wasn't, he wasn't like the old Travis from when he was like a little kid, you know, he had to, I mean, well, how do you think Byron? Like he had to get like, how heavy well, was he? he? He was 200 plus when he came back. When we he was like 230 pounds. Wow. Yeah. He, he was, he was heavier. And, but you know, kind of, I, you can't, I can't predict like, Oh, he's going to be an Olympian. But when you know, somebody has that, that mindset is like when we come back again like it didn't matter like he's you know out of shape and and whatnot getting back but you throw him you you know you know when i kind of you know when i kind of thought there was something so there's a couple of times when we were we were doing rondori and it was late it was at the end of practice and he still wanted to keep going you know we never had to tell him to come to practice he was always the first person there we used to play we used to play basketball before judo practice him and i and so we would, so we would get there early and we would shoot hoops before we got the mats out. And, you know, and this is even before that we would just play hoops and then, and then we'd do judo. And, um, one practice I remember where I think I had to get like five or six of them to go. Remember we were doing like two minute rounds, Byron, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, all right, everybody's here is going to do a two minute round, but Travis is staying out the whole time. And we're going to, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to cycle through like three times, four times. So it was like me, Byron, Kobe. Um, I don't remember who else, but it was like, there was like four or five or six of us. Yeah. And every single one of us was only going to do a two minute round, but we were cycling in like three times. And Travis went the entire time and was just standing there waiting for everybody to keep going. And then sprints and, afterwards. Did yeah. And then he was just like, he was like, you know, what's going on? Why are you guys stopping? You know? And like, like I said, it was, it was five people two minutes. So it was 10 minutes. And we did, you know, we went for like, you know, 30, 40 minutes and he, and he was just like, let's go, you know, why are we stopping? And that's when I kind of knew. And he, and he like demolished us and he was only like 17. And I was like, all right, he didn't demolish us, but, but I knew, I knew that was, there was a turning point coming up here pretty soon, you know, like, like we weren't going to be able that we didn't have enough bodies to feed the animal anymore. Yeah, that that's yeah. kind of what it was. He, he just ran out. That's you know, he we ran out of body more stuff. Yeah, we just, <laughs> there's just not enough people. There's yeah. just not enough people who can who wants to bang with him that much. You know that who who had that kind of commitment. You know, and that's yeah. Yeah, that's when you kind of notice a mindset or, or understand. Okay, you know, you know, he's like, serious. He's not. This is not talk. This is not. Again, you don't have to motivate him. He, you know, you you don't have to self motivator. Him and, even, him and a guy even, named even. Robert, yeah, him and a guy named Robert Davis. I don't know if you remember him, but Robbie Davis, um, he was a state champion wrestler for Foss, and he did judo. He was a he he did well as a junior national in the junior nationals, and 
they were about the same height, about the same weight, same age. Um, and you know, they were teammates ever since they were both, you know, six years old and they were like the two, like it'd be Christmas day and they'd be in Robert's garage lifting weights, you know, um, Christmas, Thanksgiving, birthdays, holidays. If it was Christmas day, they were in there working out and you never had to tell him, Hey, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the athletes that we had to, that we have, you know, you'd have to kind of keep pushing them, right. You'd have to like, Hey, before you go to bed, I want you to do, you know, hundred pushups and hundred sit-ups or, you know, or just do extra stuff when you're not at the dojo. It's not just about what's here when we can see you. It's about what you do when no one can see you is what makes the difference between whether you're going to be successful or maybe possibly not successful. It's what people don't see. That's the part that separates you. And so you have to be doing all these things that we don't even know about, right? We don't even want to know about you're doing these things. If we find out you're doing them, then you're doing something wrong. It should be, and you know, and it's like, it's like, then I remember his dad was telling me, yeah, Travis and Robbie's in in my garage lifting weights and doing stuff, Uchikomis, and it was like Christmas day and they didn't even want to open presents. They were just like waiting to do, you know, work out together. And that's kind of the mentality that he had. That's the kind of mentality that like Robbie had, you know, we didn't have to push those people. They were self-driven. And so it really made it easy in that regard, you know? Wow. Gentlemen, we've been going at it for two hours. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> what you, we got to get going, huh? What's the next I, question? Are we almost yeah, done? I got a, I got, I, I promised uh, the wifey I'd, I'd take her. I got to know where to go, Joe. I, I got know, to I know. Gosh, I feel like we can go for like another couple <laughs> hours, actually, to be honest. Um, it's been so long. Yeah, let I me know. We, I, I hope that we can do this like uh, over a beer and hopefully, if not this year, maybe next year. Because I was originally supposed to come back and visit last year in April, and I wanted to go around and and train while I was here or over back home. So, so what you're saying is the podcast is going to fly us out to Japan. Uh, I don't know about you're the flying podcast. us out to Okinawa. I don't All know right, about the podcast. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. I, you know what? There's we can start. A go, we can start a GoFundMe for uh, Jason's. Let's, let's uh, answer the last question, Joe. Before we go, I've got three minutes. Okay. What was the moments? What What were those moments like for you when you both watched them compete in the Olympics and win? Yeah. Real quick. What about yeah, yeah. Byron? All right. Go ahead. Answer that real quick. It, it It was after his his semifinal match with the Georgian. That's when it all. You know. That's when it was great for me. That was a great. I I, I didn't care after that because I knew he was going to get a medal at that point. You know, whether it's silver or gold. So that was probably the most elate you know elated that that was for me once he got that one it was just like a and i'm sure for him too it was just like the world just you know just got a whole lot easier all that <laughs> all that build up you know and he still had another match to fight but that was my my thing that after that semifinal match that's when i was like you know when i could kind of breathe and like I had news camera people at my house and my family and friends were over you know and so i like and i didn't want to like cry in front of them or anything like that but i remember <laughs> After everybody, after everything was over with and, you know, and I got a chance to, you know, uh, talk to him a little bit. I remember later when I was just kind of by myself, I did cry. I was just like, oh, my God, it felt like, you know, a huge weight had been lifted, you know, and it's like, it's like not for me, but for him, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. just knowing what he's been through, you know, yeah. what he's been through and, and all the sacrifices and stuff that he's had to go through. He's a, he's a good kid. He's misunderstood a lot, but, he, you know, he's a misunderstood person. He's a good, he's a good, he's a good person inside, so. 
That's awesome. That's so awesome. All right, man. T talk about the pressure of having a, a camera crew at your house. <laughs> You're not even competing. Yeah, I had like, we, yeah, we had like camera. I had like camera crew people at my house, and like, I was we watching were... it at work. I was supposed to go over, but I was like, I I was at work, and I was had it on my computer at work, and I'm just you know yelling in my office and and stuff, and <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I did. I went outside and I was screaming, you know, and people, my all my neighbors thought I was freaking crazy, you know. It's like, it's like. uh yeah, we were moving. We I, I just bought a new house and was selling my house, and you know, and it was just like one of those things where I didn't. I was just like, you know, I was just so happy for him and just that, yeah, you know, all that. So, anyways, hey, congratulations again on on twenty years with Ipon Dojo. Thank you, thank you. It's been a long, it's Thanks. been a good run. Twenty more years coming up here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, hey, Joe. Love Thanks, to have guys. you out. Let's do it thank again. Yeah, let's do it again. No, let me know. And you tell uh, you tell your family. Tell John I said hi. I will. Thank you. All right. All right. Hey, thanks right. for having us on. Yeah. Take, Take care. care, guys. Okay. Bye. Bye. I'd like to thank my guests again, uh, Jason Harai and Byron Reddit. Uh, just a great time being able to catch up with them uh, after over a decade of not even seeing them or talking to them. I was originally supposed to go back last year. So I hope that I can see them in, uh, in person and catch up and go train. Um, and do all those things that I've always wanted to do and get back. So thank you again, gentlemen, for, for doing that. I hope we can actually do it again, too, uh, whether it's online or in person. Again, thank you to our producers of this uh, podcast, Stacy Bell, Kazu Davis, Tata Brewer, and Daniel Olson. If anyone here would like to be a producer of the show, you can go to the Patreon page. You can also go to Anchor and be a producer of the show as well. Um, but shout out to our producers. Thank you so much for for doing what you do and let me being able to uh, put this uh, this this platform out in this uh, artistic uh, part of me so I don't know if that makes sense but thank you again and we'll see you guys next time bye bye matane